Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. My name is Ash Thorpe. This is going to be episode 78 with my friend and multi-talented award-winning director, Saman Kesh. He is best known for his short film, Controller, his music video for Love Deluxe, amongst many others. In this episode, we discuss our love for film, director's philosophies that he admires and holds dear to his own work. He also discusses how to deal with criticism and finding your passions. We talk a bit about his time at the Art Center and in the film program and his struggles to fit in the mold of the conventional formats and how his own artistic voice was what continued to drive him through college and keeps pushing him to this day. Today's podcast brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at thecollectivepodcast.com forward slash audible. Check it out. This is going to be episode 78 with my buddy, Simon Cash. Let's go. Dude, how was your day? Let's start with your day. How was your day? It's all right. It's all right. Just uh, got my multi, my multi-pane window script notes bullshit vomit. What are you using yeah. to write your script? in? are you using Celtex? Yeah, I use Celtex. Is it? I only like the reason is is uh, you know I mean obviously people are like file draft yeah file draft's fine. It's a standard. It's just broken. Like it's just not updated and it's off. And Celtex is. I mean even though Celtex doesn't update either, I just like it's. Um, it's organization of notes. Like I write a lot of notes and like the, you know, I've like, there's all these colors for the notes and mm-hmm. I like using them for like the different departments and stuff like that. And it, I usually just abandon it like really like early, but it gives the like line producer and everybody reading like some information before I sort of like throw them the real deal of like, you know, the shots and everything like that. It gives them kind of an idea of what I'm, what I'm thinking and what to be mindful of. Cause so, sometimes you don't want to write something in a script because it just doesn't belong and it messes the flow, but you want people to know, like, there's going to be this in it, you know? Sure, sure. The subtext, right? Is that what it's yeah, referred to or, as? Yeah, or, or, like, an alt line. You don't want to write two lines on the script that just is funky, so you write, like, an alternative line, and, like, because of some change you might do at the ending, possibly, or not sure how it's going to read because the actor needs, to, you know, you, you, this has all got to be translated and, and tied, so it's like, you don't know how to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I have to try that out. I have, I'm just I'm using like just text. <laughs> the, just text. <laughs> I have. I like, think what I, do you mean, like text edit? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but I'm also using my notebook and just randomly. But I, I guess it. I guess it doesn't matter as long as the ideas are coming out. But I I think the next step is to graduate. I think Anthony, you and you and Anthony are both persuading me into this Celtex thing because it seems like it's the best tool for the job so and what you're talking about like adding in those notes and color coordinated stuff like helping keep your thoughts organized I guess is probably the most important thing so yeah, yeah. and everyone can download the app free and open it up and all that stuff you know so you can send it whereas final draft everyone's got to have final draft and not everyone's going to have it and mm-hmm. and if the people who do are just going to be like line producers because the way it really works is a line producer will break everything you have down and even though you'll have your own private meeting with your department head you have there's so many middle people in between you and them and they're responsible for giving them the content but in, in a lot of cases unless you're you know on a giant production or just sort of like a proper production which these I think that's just definition of that's going to go away it's just so much easier to have a lot of that in your control and your grasp so that when you send it off everything is really coming from you and, and, and if they really want to change stuff, at least it's written like a blueprint for them 
they can just, you know, change it to whatever they need or however format they need, you know? Yeah, it's killer. I guess that's a point when the tool actually does kind of counter its usability and it helps you with the with the job that you're trying to go for, which makes it totally valuable in, what's, in the context of it. Do you consider yourself to be kind of one of the newer, new age directors? It seems like you probably learned a ton since school, huh? Um, I mean, since school or at school? Um, let's go, I guess we've, I've brought up the art center a lot in my podcast cause I've either had people on who, uh, went to art center or wanted to go to art center, didn't go to art center and went to another college. I know that you went to art center. Um, what did you think of the process of going to, to school? Cause there's been a big debate, like whether to go to school, whether or not to go to school, um, the pros and cons of that. Since you did go through school, through art center, especially what was your experience like? Um, well, you know, I mean, obviously I applied to like, you know, UCLA and USC and, and Art Center, all three of them. Um, and I had an opportunity to really attend either of the, of the three. Um, I, I chose sort of what most people would say as like people's third choice for film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I disagree. The reason was is because I, I was really not interested in the hype that the other schools had. Um, there's like a very much a like baby Hollywood system, especially at USC. And I hate that crap. Cause I'm, I'm like the kind of guy where I know I can make something awesome. People are going to think I'm crazy and then I make it and then they feel bad and want to cry. You know? <laughs> um, but, but until I make it, they don't see it. And, and in USC, you don't make anything unless you can convince people, a lot of people. And, and, and like I said, I don't know how, how it's changed, but one thing about USC too, is it's really like, um, it's really, uh, they basically own anything you make using school resources. Oh, okay. Um, and same with UCLA. Uh, Art Center, not at all. Um, the, the downside to it is you, you sort of aren't given as much like sort of, uh, you know, um, nurturing love, I think. I think there's a lot more of a professional get it done on your own kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that, if anything, that's better. It weeds out people that really like trick themselves into thinking that they can make films, but they don't really have the discipline to do it, you know? Yeah, um, it takes a tremendous I, amount of I would of say my experience, that, my experience there, a lot of times I wanted to quit. Like I would say the first two terms, I was just thinking, man, this is like a lot of money. I don't want to be in debt. And you, I just like was, you know, really into looking up like, you know, P.T. Anderson and all these other directors that just like dropped out of school like after a term. I even had a friend, uh, he's actually a fellow director who, uh, his name is A.G. Rojas. Um, he went to, to school around the same time I did, but he dropped out after a term. And we're both sort of kind of ended up in the same place, you know, but uh, with obviously him with less debt. Um, but <laughs> I, I, think, I think that um, the experience really is what you make of it. If, if you're somebody who can just do things on your own, there's no reason you even need to go to school, you know, as long sure. as you have the discipline of you, you, only you can say what you, what you don't have and what you have. And then once you figure that out, the next step is to really t- take the necessary, um, I guess, um, you know, checkpoints that you need to, to face in order to get to those places. So if you're not good at like, if you're somebody that's like a recluse and has no idea about anything else in the world, be that person that needs to go and like live somewhere else or go and research a ton and step out of your comfort zone. For me, it was purely like a learning experience in the sense there were so many people who were just like smarter than me, like IQ and just like sharper and just they had like they had it down, like all their assignments were like spot on and teachers I hate those loved people. them. And I just like huh? <laughs> I hate those people. <laughs> I hate those people. Uh, but like I just was Cheers I was always the person that just tried to fuck shit up and teachers would be like, What are you doing? I don't get this. And you know, some <laughs> teachers you, you gravitate to the teachers that 
just respect you because you're you're trying to break stuff. But a lot of teachers just don't like that because and, and they have a good point, which is you have to kind of learn the rules before you can break them, which sure. is very important. But I sort of what I the way I learned, and this isn't something I tried to do, I just naturally have realized that I do this is I learn what rules I learn the rules through breaking them unintentionally, and then I realize, oh, that's why it's not working. <laughs> you know, it's um, a good way of lear- learning. Where most people, just boring. This is how you follow the rules, kind of short, and then fuck it up. I don't think I could. I, yeah. If I couldn't even stomach going through the process of just making something, eh, you know. Isn't that kind of part of it though? Like understanding the the periphery or the the actual, I guess, the bubble in which you create in is by going and pushing the edge, the boundary. Yeah, but I think some people, some people want, you know, I think there's an intellectual side versus an emotional side that film, film is a very unique medium in the form, in the sense that it, that's why when people call filmmakers artists, like, I I mean, unless it's like David Lynch or someone who's just really like, just out there, (laughs) like, I don't think David, I don't think David Fincher would call himself an artist. I don't think Spike Jones would call themselves artists. Like, there is a really weird, like, hemisphere, like, connection that needs to happen sure. some people are more on one side than the other side but I, I, it's 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 a very you need to understand like what you're doing like when you hear a commentary of a filmmaker it's like 99 percent of the time like sam mendez or whoever regardless of how like you know cerebral or not you know uh you know their work is they're very aware and they break down their scenes in like a very logical way even if like how the scene spawned could have been purely from emotion and then they tweaked it with some of their knowledge of film and just experimentation and just constant drafts whatever it is that's something that people need to know and that's why I think for some people it's easier to start from the intellect side for me it's not like I can't make anything good purely from intellect it's got to come from an emotion and then and then that evolve and then I sort of like need to retroactively explain why I want to do that and then and then and then you start to figure it out. You know? So emotion, so emotion is your fuel. Then so is it where a lot of your energy drives from? Are you just emotionally based creative person? Yeah, like I don't, I, you know, like it's it's sort of, it's sometimes it's more abstract than others. Sometimes I've seen and then I sort of learn how I felt about it. But sometimes it's like like straight up theme that I'm having problems with. Like oh, I'm like really. I'm really like in this weird bipolar mode or something, or I'm really in this like you know, I kind of constantly am kind of hating on myself, and so like then I <laughs> decide to make something where it's about hating on on myself. But sometimes it's just like you listen to something at that moment that you need to write something, and then that plus this plus that plus where you are in your life just creates like a moment or a fragment or like a, a big bang of something. And then you just go off of that. And that's what like, Controller was. Controller just like, I have no clue where the hell that spawned from. Like I can't trace exactly what started it. It was just a certain day that I had an idea and I wrote the script like kind of in one day. You know what I mean? And it wasn't, it's not what it was, what it is now, but like I was able to get all the way through it where some ideas are like, I can't do that. It becomes like, the thing that I want to get to, I have to write a bunch of pages and then the ending is that thing or the beginning is that thing and then I don't know what the ending is. And, and you know, I think Coppola, Coppola is somebody who said that's always how he worked and that's why his creative process was very painful. Yeah. Not on, only on his end, but on like the studio actors, everybody, because he would write like fragments of scripts and then figure out how to connect them. He did like a pretty terrific job in his early career but i think that you can see certain examples of filmmakers where that doesn't work like prometheus you know with ridley scott there's so many different scenes where you can tell like there's genius all spread around but there's no discipline to let like 
Did you see that quote that I posted on my Facebook, the Werner Herzog quote? That's a great one. one. Yeah, that's a that, great that's quote. That's something that people don't have the discipline is like you cannot con- – like when, when something is contrived, it's not a child anymore. You're making a robot. And essentially Ridley Scott likes to make robots. He doesn't really yeah. want to make an organic child. And that's not of interest to me. You know, I don't think that's good and no one likes it. And it's absolutely forgettable, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It's challenging. I think, so. I, th- I think like when you're – especially – I mean if we're going to talk about the – the constructs of actually creating a great film it's it's kind of like when i mentioned i think we'd mentioned it prior in a past con- uh, podcast and it was referred to uh i think it was with michael arias who was talking about uh working with james cameron on the abyss and he was saying like how how difficult of film that was and how making great films is like capturing lightning in a bottle you know it's like really figuring out that energy and like taking that energy all the way through and i think there's from my understanding of how to make something great on a vast scale of a feature film or a film in general even if it's short scale is 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 a very taxing um journey you know and i think it's it's crazy it's crazy when somebody could put years of their life into this massive ordeal and then for somebody to sit through it and go ah it sucks <laughs> yeah no it's depressing and, it I, and I don't like I, I, I don't like being a part of that sort of like sure who gives a shit but but part of it is also like you bring it on yourself like you know there is a there is a there's a thing that is always is um is hard for someone like me which is like you know you can't have you know you can't have the your cake and eat it too you know like something that i think like christopher nolan has a big problem with especially with like inception and dark knight there's just not a even 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 in prometheus it's a good example it's like people there's a certain thing where it's like i want all of this and it's like that's not how it works that's the pain the pain of filmmaking is not like oh david lynch has something he says where he says basically it's not about a lot of times with filmmakers uh the challenge isn't what to put in, it's what not to put in. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? Any any great artist is the same way, you know? Like you can apply that to great painters of our time. You look at like um I think um what's his Picasso when he was when he had figured out how to paint the form cuz he was actually really he's he's he was a very exceptional artist and he decided to go beyond those, you know, photocopying rendering techniques into a different realm and when he started constructing the human face from different angles, that's when he was getting all those abstracts, you know. But he was taking away; he was, he was basically removing the human form and le- and leaving only what's most important. And I think that in all the art that I really love is when I look at it, there's that maturity level of how much to take away. And I think the same thing you can have the same thing with within films, you know, like the restraint. We talked about a little bit about under the skin. Is that what it's called? I think it's under the skin. Yeah, under the skin. And did we mention? <clears throat> did you like that film? I think we talked about it a little bit. Love it. Yeah, and I think that's a current example of a film that really doesn't try to explain itself, isn't trying to be like a thir- three-act like Disney film. Um, <laughs> and I think, and not to say, because I love certain Disney films because they're just they're nostalgic for me and stuff, and I'm. And I'm not trying to jump on that train where I'm just hating on stuff at all. That's not it either. I think what makes that film so successful is is its contrast in the in the stream of films. You know, for me it is because it was a it's like a breath of fresh air. It was such a contrast to what was going on, I suppose. But um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. But no, no, I, I agree. It's actually funny. I just I, I've been downloading. I just downloaded the 
Gone Girl soundtrack, and I just bought the um, uh, soundtrack. Hundred Skin soundtrack. And it's really funny. Like the two the two films really complement each other in the sense of like the abstraction of thought. And though Gone Girl has like a plot, the emotion of Gone Girl is very abstract, and that's why it's so powerful for a lot of people. Where Under the Skin, the entire thing is like a, a two hour surrealist dream, you know, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. whatever the fuck. Like it's just absolutely like you know. I call it a date breaker because I, I went on a date with, when I watched that movie, and that was like, uh, so. But, but Which that's one a film with, that I, I agree. Gone Girl? Huh? With Gone Girl, you went on a date. Uh, Gone Girl, I went on a date, and that was a winner. But but the the, 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 the under the skin date was, nah. um, but I think also whenever there's like rapey rapey weirdness, and you know and that ending was just so crazy. And but when, anyways, regardless, was it was just the it wasn't just like you know people can break down the use of music, the use of, and I'm like, nah, not really. It's 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 magic is what what it is. It, there's there's a sense of like I always bring this one, one example up, but only because it was the first time I as a student in film school recognized this is what I strive to be and or not to be to me and it's that opening shot of there'll be blood where it just shows the mountains mm. just a really not great image like it's okay but these sort of dead mountains with this like with the super ominous fucking there'll be blood like the Johnny Greenwood <laughs> what the fuck and I remember how awful my stomach felt <laughs> like my soul hurting at that moment and i'm like wow the, the ability to evil. do that i'm almost positive that wasn't written but what happens is a filmmaker explores and those emotions and he is a he's a student of cinema he sort of i think has conquered his guttural reactions to things like yeah. magnolia like boogie nights those are like his guttural like man 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 you know and then i think like <laughs> after that it's just like purely i'm a student of cinema and i'm gonna yes. fuck shit up yeah, and and I think that's like exactly how Soderbergh is. Soderbergh is permanently that, you know. Yes, yes. Um, but filmmakers are not that. They'll on, they'll they can only do their soul and their thing. And I'm sort of somewhere in between, where I'm not really 100 percent interested in just purely experimentation, mm. but I'm not 100 percent interested in just beating myself. And that's that's what makes like a draft two go all the way to draft eight because you're just like, am I there yet? I'm not. I don't know if I'm there yet. You know, like I. You're on the line. I, I have, and, yeah, there's a line you need to cross, and sometimes just when you cross it, you realize, fuck, I got even, I, I have actually more to go because now that I just crossed it, I've kind of messed with stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you have to take that, make that decision where do you go the safe route? And a lot of people, luckily, I envy people like Wes Anderson where they take these small little steps, and they're always in evolution, but there's a small, very Wes Anderson step where certain filmmakers will just suddenly, like David Fincher, the first movie that he went, like, okay, fuck it, I'm going to do a Talking Heads movie with Social Network, and he killed it. But, like, that was something you can tell he was proving to himself. I'm entering the Talking Heads stage of my career, you know? Yeah. Um, I think he's in a stage right now of TV. I think he's transitioning into TV. For the Gone Girl, I had a long... Which is also Talking Heads, too. It is, it is. And I felt like Gone Girl was one of those films, I don't know, like... I think it was really geared towards the people that had um, enjoyed and experienced the book because it was written by, the script was written by the um, Mm -hmm. Gillian or Gillian, I forget her name, but um, yeah, it was really, it was interesting. I think it's just, I think it's just Gillian, but it's just a G. Yeah, yeah, Gillian, I forget her last name. Um, But yeah, she wrote the script as well, and I thought that was an interesting choice. I uh, I feel like maybe would the film. I think it for me it felt like the book was adapted and it was adapted well. But it, I and I think I I appreciated the film in a certain way because 
I had just I binged on reading the listening to the audiobook the whole week. So I like I went through like Jillian seven, Flynn. Jillian Flynn, that's her name. She's actually writing uh, the Utopia that Fincher's redoing, which is odd because Utopia is such a great show, and I'm just like, hey, why are you remaking such a great show? <laughs> I'm like, go do something else that's not so good because it's going to be interesting. Have you seen Utopia? Have you watched the show? No, no. You sent you sent me something. I remember to watch. Dude, it's wicked. I think you'd really love it, especially the the DOP work is just phenomenal, and the story is just wicked and wild and crazy and just bizarre and. Season two is super grim. I think you'd really like it. I, ref- I refer everybody to it, and everybody I do is just like, oh, my God, how did I not know about this show? It's like a Channel 4 show. Um, they're killing it out there in the U.K., that Black Mirror and all that stuff. But Yeah. yeah. But back to the thing with... I like, I like shows like that that pose these these Kubrickian sort of mirrors, you know? Like, I, I always love movies where there's not an explanation purely of character. It's like the movie almost turns into, like, a mirror for your self even if it's like a like a, a fragment or like of somebody you are those and, are the best and, things and i think over time i think over time people have gotten better at recognizing it like even gone girl like gone girl has so much like weird marital sex like sexist kind of like question marks in it that sort of just aren't answered and 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 they're it's bizarre and that's why a lot of people think it's comedic because it's so absurd mm. but like the, only that 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 those few will take that serious step to the next level of going, okay, what is this actually saying? I highly doubt these people were just like jerking off and laughing when they were writing this, you know? Oh There's no. Some, it's yeah. being fueled by some sort of really aggressive, like I, I believe in this passionately and this is something I need to convey. And, and that's, that's why I think, you know, perhaps, you know, just like Fincher has found his resonor and perhaps this is kind of, of his writer because like, there's a sort of cynical language, but that says something I think a lot more, hopeful but people want to see the hope literally transcribed versus the you should kind of hate this just enough that you don't end up like this you know people Mm. think that they need to see the hope for them to have the hope and i think like people like kubrick they weren't about that they were like let me show you how shitty it can get what do you want to do you know what i mean yeah Um, yeah i love that stuff and i think the uk is not afraid to do that like i love that yeah black mirror like hope in black mirror it's all it's all about this is where we it's like cautionary you know it's very yeah it's very aesop fable style for me i always felt like it was like hey this is the plausible future you know the one of the grim stories was like the entire history of you which gets like grim as hell (laughs) and it's so dark and it's so even like white rabbit's a very interesting tale about you know politics and systems and justice and all that kind of stuff and posing the question of what if and the plausibilities of our rationale and you know the hive mind system and how we think and how we deal with things as a group um it's just very interesting you know did you see the white rabbit one did you see that episode i haven't seen that one no i only got to what's it episode which episode did i get to i don't remember the numbers i went on a binge so there's only six of them there's only six yeah but i went on like a binge and i stopped i think on the the White Rabbit's like, is it number five or four? Yeah, it's five, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I stopped just before that. Did you see the entire history of you with the one, the contact lens? Yeah. Oh, that one's grim. Yeah. I I, I really love that, and I really think that um, there's a really great transition of when I watched Gone Girl, I felt that it would have been a very successful format for like what they're doing with True Detective, which is like ten to twelve episodes, I think, one hour episodes. I think that it would have been a lot better because there's a lot of character development that was in the book that wasn't established. 
I think that was in in that short two and a half hours. <clears throat> it's a it's a long movie, but I think it could have been. I think I felt like they were trying to push these things, but they weren't able to get it just right. And I and not and I'm not trying to say anything bad against these guys because I know they're trying their best to make these experiences, but I can tell that Fincher is trying to move towards that, and I, I'm curious and excited. I would love to see him take a a concept or a, a, a book or something kind of like Gone Girl or something else and, and establish it in, a, in an episodic kind of format and see how you can work with that because True Detectives is a good example of, you know, taking a concept and building upon it and building those characters because, I mean, don't you know better than most, it's like the more time you can get with your viewers developing your character, the better your experience is going to be with them as long as you're pushing them in the right direction, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of all this? Are you thinking about still going to film? I mean, I know you're working on something right now. I don't think I don't know even you know if you can talk about it, but are you? What are you considering? I mean, you got to always be looking towards the future, right? What's your thoughts on all this it, stuff? Um, you know, uh, I think TV is, is 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 an interesting place right now. I think I think there is uh, a lot of it is just survival. You know, filmmakers. It's not like filmmakers are convinced TV is awesome. I think you have to learn to like what you need to move on to. You know, I think it's like photographers going into color. It's like, you know, you just, it's like you die or you survive. And and it's your choice, really. I highly doubt there's anybody that, like, when they went from black and white to color or from, from you know, only music to sound. Yeah, there were people who were out of jobs, but filmmakers went and fucking learned how to make sound, you know? And, and, and though that was a harder transition because it was so brutally slow and, mm. like, it's things are so fast now, it's like, get the fuck out or, or hang tight. But I think with TV, a lot of directors are, it's a survival thing and it's a trend and everyone's sort of wanting to brand you know, hey, here's a movie director starting a show, but do TV, but there was a seniority in TV, and there still kind of is, where unless you're like a Soderbergh or a Fincher, it's very hard to have any control over a show uh, unless you're a seasoned writer. That's why if you look at all the writers prior to like the feature film director sort of like becoming the like leading catalyst of a show, they're all really older writers that have been around for a while you yeah. know there's a seniority and writers are king in that medium so you can't really unless you want to just sell property and kind of hang on hang hang out it's not really like that and so i think for me my my conquering that i want to do is i'm, I'm a world builder i like building worlds as well as characters but i like building the, you know it's kind of like back and forth a little bit in, in each um each idea I have, sometimes it's character first, then world second, or world first, then character second. Sometimes it's at the same time. But what I really like is I think everything I'm making now is expansive into a show because it has its own personality and its own universe and language that I'd love to explore. But it's just something that it's not, it's not, it, there's not enough politically just kind of, you know, like dealing with my age, I'm able to like, you know, maneuver, you know, the, the studio world. You just, you, there's just not enough freedom and control for it to be a valid thing. The way I look at it is it's the 70s again, and while all the, all the 60s and 50s directors are trying to get into TV, that's mm -hmm. when, you know, the little babies swoop in for the kill and take over movies, and then once we can take over movies, then we can migrate over to TV and other formats. I mean, ideally, I'd love to even go beyond that. I'd love to just constantly have a trend of, like, I go make a movie, and there's, like, a whether there's a star in or a large actor, I can go and take that actor, get like fifty grand, and just make a really fucked up short that no one would want to make into a movie. And I don't give a I don't give a fuck about making money. It's just something where it's like that's like a, a almost like a brand kind of thing, but not really. It's just you and this actor who want to do something, and you know, it's like. 
Did Ryan you... Gosling, what if he's always wanted to play a pedophile? You know, no one's going to give him the chance to be a pedophile, probably. No one would be down with that. But I'm sure he'd be interested in doing a little short where he gets to fucking be a crazy person like that. Jillian Hall did that um, with the shoes music video. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I fucking exactly. love that. Like, that was more... fucking great. And I thought I, I heard that Jillian Hall sought out that director to do that. He's a smart guy. He's a, he's a, he's a king shit right now. He's smart though. I think he's awesome. I haven't seen Nightcrawler yet, but I think that the the, the kind of like the, those filmmakers, or sorry, those actors are are essentially um, uh, facilitators in a way. Like people like George Clooney, they know when they attach themselves to a project, they know they can get that movie made, and that there's something powerful. And I was just watching, you know, um, some some you know behind the scenes and in interviews for Raging Bull, and and Scorsese was saying that so like great. you know flat out, the only reason that movie got finished and made and released considering it was so anti-rocky yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because that was the promise they sold to the studio to make the movie but then <laughs> when they delivered it it was just awful and like, didn't make any sense and, and and i think the you know de niro had enough power and scorsese was like it's just one of those things where the director has just enough power but it's the relationship with the actor and that sort of loyalty the actor knows that the only person that really can finish this and, and make those final calls is the director and it's that kind of power that can make movies like this exist on a pop level. And I think that even though right now we're, we're running into a really sad area in the studio system, it, it's really just everybody being hired is like easy to work with. Everyone wants to work. So everyone's excited to be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Where I'm sort of realizing that like when, when I work with studios, it's like you, you, you got to be a force of nature. And I've heard that from a lot of people where it's yeah. like, don't worry about being that person, but that's the only way you can make stuff. We're not looking looking for directors we're not looking for just storytellers that are going to get their movie made and and a lot of people will, will say that but you know the people who mean it because like when you are crazy like they know how to handle it you know what i mean <laughs> they know how to fucking like utilize that and and they get crazy too and it just becomes this sort of like insane pit of just like you know cliche <laughs> of madness but like, really that's the only way to do it there's there's there even i mean someone so con in control like fincher just takes over studios like he just he's in complete control and and so many people have bad experiences working with him but it's like only because he just he just knows how to not be fucked with it his way is just not maybe you know the way uh some other filmmakers would be like scorsese or, or people who are a little bit more like you know tantrum prone or people who are a little bit more like you know intense like david o russell but it doesn't mean that their way is wrong you know what i mean those people are just really passionate and they're in love with their material or someone i think like fincher can remove himself a lot and that often happens with people who don't write their own material as well because there's a little bit of a like i've got eight things going on one of them will be made you know what i mean sure um where pt is like i'm working on one thing right now you know what i mean <laughs> it's his baby yeah, I just recently watched all like a bunch of behind the scenes from Magnolia, Magnolia, uh, Magnolia, and it was it was really cool when he was talking to, I think it was towards the end of the documentary, and he was acting out this scene with, I think it was his wife at the time, which was uh, what was that her name? Fiona. Yeah, Fiona he, he was like, I don't think it was a wife, but yeah, they were like in super dating then, yeah, super dating mode, and he was like, he was kind of acting out. The process of yeah, all the this. scenes in the editing bay. I yes, remember that. That was great. That's when I was like, "Oh, forget a girlfriend." Because <laughs> he, for those that are listening that haven't seen it, go get the DVD or the Blu-ray, and you can watch it. Or I think it's even on YouTube. But he's acting out these scenes where he's kind of 
like where he's talking to the studios like it's it's gonna be this long and they're like no it's not you can't let it be this long he's like but it's my baby and he's and he's basically acting out the situations in in high drama and it's really funny um yeah yeah and they're like this just too yeah well because remember he even one thing they were like so what do you think about magnolia what do you think of the script what do you think of the script and everyone's reaction is like it's a little long and that's what everyone said about like what i'm working on and those are the moments where i go fuck that shit but once again there's a reason people say it's too long because 99.9% of people are not P.T. Anderson and they'll never be. Like that's one – there are certain filmmakers where I just go there is a predisposed thing in their brain that they will just always be better and more natural at certain things. And yeah. that's – filmmaking is one thing P.T. just – there's no one can, that can beat him. It's impossible and it's frustrating because you're just like you can put your whole life into trying to – I'll do that no. but there are certain filmmakers that you know I don't have a shame I'm very I love certain filmmakers but there, a lot of the filmmakers I love I have sort of learned to kind of go I can't wait to crush that filmmaker you know <laughs> and I think it's there's a little bit of it, it's fun it's it, it's it, I don't I don't think I think every filmmaker loves to compete in a certain way where it feel it's like I need to surpass that even Kubrick Kubrick respected everything he tried to like outdo like the exorcist by trying to outdo it by doing the shining I mean, he didn't yeah. hate Friedkin he met with Friedkin and he like you know like loved that movie but he was like i want to do it too and there's a little bit of this rivalry that you want to have and i remember the first time i ever experienced that was when i was at a michelle gondry talk and i, I was <laughs> like i'm going to destroy you i've heard, I've heard he <laughs> has a, so an arrogant tone i've yeah i've never met him before i really love i really appreciate a lot of his work eternal sunshine is a for me is a very special film it has some very special, very special. scenes it's my, my top 10 for sure it's a really I remember watching it up in San Francisco um just on a whim with an ex-girlfriend of mine and we are in our relationship was splitting ways and we both knew it but we had been together for 4 years oh, or something. Crazy. It was the worst situation to be in because I was the one trying to keep it together and and she was she was already turning off the lights and and watching the film it made me incredibly emotional because I wanted to to be able to erase that past. So it hit me in a perfect time in my life. I rewatched it again and was able to study it as a film with, without my emotions attached to it because I hated the film. Actually, after watching it the first time, I was like, "This is the worst film ever" because it made me feel so vulnerable, which in yeah. fact is actually a, an amazing film because it pushed me so emotionally. Yeah. Um, beautiful. beautiful and beautiful. brilliant, brilliant in the concepts. You know, the library scene with everything disappearing. I mean, it, just, it's just, it's it's a ten out of ten, dude. There's not a single moment. It's like one of those movies where like, I was. Like I watch even, even any Fincher movie, I can sort of have one thing. I I, I can go ugh, ugh. <laughs> the contrived element of every Fincher movie, only because he loves total control. Yeah. But there's so many other genius things that you're just like, fuck it, I don't care. True. But with Eternal Sunshine, it's that magic that mm. no one even Kaufman, or even though I love most Kaufman films, sure. uh, or or, or uh, Gondry has never been able to tap into is is this is this feeling of like. It just not only the way where when it came out, not only like just the style, the kind of filmmaker he was, and the way he sort of just bent bent the psychology of the mind into something that's kind of both you know super emotional and intense, but also kind of quirky and absurd. Yes, um, but it just it's one, Very of, human. one of those movies that came together and made a masterpiece. It literally is, and I, it's a shame that it's not like a Criterion film. And I know Criterion sort of has has changed the way they pick movies now it's not as much as like oh it's an amazing film it's more like you need to see this for educational purposes but there's no reason that that you know if being john malkovich is a criterion that movie has to be criterion there's no reason why that movie is not you know it's a big influence um, on me it's a great movie too 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, being John Malkovich is great, but an adaptation is one of my favorites. I mean, that's a huge fantastic film. It's yeah. one of those like smart films that it, it's almost too smart for its own good, and it's mo- in its most clever sense. It's like I remember reading a little blurb about the author of the book where it was based off of and she was like oh that's great they want to make a book on me then they showed her the script and she's absolutely not you know what the hell is this because <laughs> it's like a script of him trying to write the story of this trying to write the thing, yeah. and it's and, and it's, then it's, it's also genius, about her so. having this ridiculous affair <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's so yeah. fucked and it's it's an and to me i was sitting there after reading that and and i was sitting there and i was like how the fuck did this get made that's really yeah. um you know there's I think you know it just as well as I do. Um, I'm wa- I'm watching I'm watching you go through the process uh, from away, and I'm watching Anthony very closely. Anthony Scott Burns because he's getting into the big process of becoming a feature filmmaker, and and I'm seeing how difficult it is. And 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 um, I'm just when I watch certain films, I'm like, dude, somebody really big had to be in this person's corner um, because certain projects, I just can't believe they get through, you know? I mean, of course there's some films there. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? But even, um, adaptation is a very special film. Um, and you have to have very smart and very interesting people behind it. I think in order to understand that this is beyond most films and the concept of what it is, it's almost like this parody of sorts. It's a very interesting film. I really enjoy it. I've, I've watched it probably five times now and every time i watch it i get something special out of it getting more into the process of filmmaking it's just kind of like this funny wink you know <laughs> it's really yeah. great i enjoy it I, I mean it's something it's something that for me has always been um it's it's weird because there's a certain alienation i have from other filmmakers and then there's certain connections i end up having you know it, it it's kind of I, I don't know how to explain it because i find a lot of it to be um just noise that you want to hide yourself from and a lot of times like i that's why like when i watch extras i have a hard time with extras sometimes because they're usually like designed for people who don't know anything about film sure and it's just the way they speak to you and the way that everything is presumptuous i I have real big issues with that because it's not it's not like that i'm you know you sort of when once you sort of see what things are really like you wonder how many filmmakers that are working actually watch extras mostly not and so for me the most valuable thing are always commentaries because it's just a filmmaker you know he's gonna say what he's gonna say if he happens to be a little bit more like i'm gonna hide certain things because that's who i am yeah. fine but there's a lot of filmmakers like fincher who just balls to the wall says he doesn't everything. give a shit he's yeah it's not, not making anything because he knows the he, he knows the his, the v- people listening are not his enemies the enemies are the people trying to not allow him to fuck shit up it's <laughs> um, true and he's got he's so far beyond a lot of people in a certain way where he's become his own planet you know his own sun in the solar system where he can kind of push his weight around you know like we're all we're all a bit away from where he's at basically the power that he has as a director you know yeah and it's, it's like as much as like you know robert redford and certain filmmakers for him or you know um sam peckinpah like all these older directors that all these people look up to it's like these are gonna these are gonna be our directors that we look up to you know sure um and or they are and they will be and people sort of find it silly because when you go to school it's like oh your favorite movie's fight club you're weird oh your favorite movie <laughs> eternal sunshine you're weird it's like no man, your favorite movie should be 
Gone with the Wind, your favorite movie should be this or that. <laughs> it's like you start to learn that those become kind of your favorite movie, like Taxi Driver or Marathon Man. Sure. But like at the same time, in like you start you're starting to realize that Fincher is going to become one of those when we become old and young kids are like, I like Bob Mackle. And you're like, what? <laughs> you like it, David Fincher. Um, <laughs> but I think you should just, as, as a general thing, I think you should just like what you like, what speaks to you. Everything else, don't, you know, whatever. Like people will say, I've had that happen a lot in my life like oh you shouldn't I've had people tell me that an instant that somebody says oh you shouldn't like that or this or that I, I say in my mind I say fuck off and I go and like it because <laughs> I'm like you can't tell me <laughs> and then I get all like and then I and I just start to really analyze the thing that I really enjoy and I and I don't let anybody take that away from me because there's something there right you know um I think as a, as any artist starting out your taste is what carries you through you know um What's his name? Um, ah, this guy, he has this really great, great bit of quote about your taste and how your tastes carry you through your career. Even when you start out, you suck at what you're doing, but your tastes are genuine and what you like is pure to you. Ira Glass is his name, and he has a really great little speech about it. And I think that um, to talk about you know your, your influences, you should just let them be what they are. If your favorite film is fucking Star Wars or Fight Club, like let it be that, you know, whatever. Um, I yeah, think there's just yeah. I think it's great to have influences from everything. To be completely honest, I recently got really into old westerns because um, they're fucking great films. Like so much fun. You can learn so much from those. Um, like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, or Once Upon a Time in the West. You know those staple yeah, the, the, the Leone ones. Leone ones. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah. The pacing. Um, you can have such a little bit of action, but the pacing and the tension that he builds is just phenomenal. And I, I learned a ton from him just recently, actually. Even I think I'm, they're going to really influence my comic stuff. But yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I think it's important to have your own, you know, your own your own influences. And, and at what point do you think that your influences then fade away almost in, until you become your own self? Do you feel that you're getting closer to that with each time you yeah. you approach it? Yeah, it's really hard to watch movies sometimes. Really hard. Like it's I, uh, you know, that Criterion sale that just came up, mm. and everyone was buying movies, and it was funny because my brother was like telling me all the movies he was buying, and I purposely picked instead of the movies I'm like, oh, I love that movie. I want to get the criterion for it. Instead, I was like, no, I'm going to be a, a student of cinema right now, and I'm going to buy all movies I haven't seen because, like, That's you good. know what? They deserve to be purchased, but also on top of that, I picked, like, the ones just sort of like, like Battle of Algiers, though I've seen that. There's examples, like, an equivalent of that kind of sort of, like, very revolutionary film, like um, uh, Night of the Hunter. I'd never seen that until recently, but I just went and bought it. and How's I, that? I knew everyone liked it. And it's like a movie from 1955 and by a director who never made a movie ever again. And it's really fucking, it's got one of probably the best bad guys in movie history. Really? Like it's What's it called again? Um, Night of the Hunter. Did you see that picture? I, I don't know if if, uh, if we follow each other on Instagram, but did you see that picture of that guy in the shadow? No, I'll follow you though. What's your tandles? The Ghibli thing? No, it's uh, Samani Momani. <laughs> All right, I'll find you on there. <laughs> Samani uh, Momani. Here, let me, uh, let, I'm sure there's a... I can send it to you right now, actually. Look it up. But it's like a promotional photo that people... Um, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's like very rare, but um, um, it's Robert Mitchum, and Robert Mitchum is just fucking wow, man. I, he's like one of my new faves, you know? I mean, even though I've seen a bunch of stuff with him, I think like this made me realize like what he is, what he is capable of. Oh, here we go. I'm sending this to you. 
there's so many great things out there. You really can't see it all. And you never know when that's going to influence you, you know? There might be this time 30 years from down the road and you're going to be the successful director and you're going to watch, like, Dances with Wolves on a whim and it's going to make you, like, cry and you're going to, you're going to be... You know, you know, you never know. That's a no, no, picture. totally, and that's why I keep doing it, and that's why I'm very selective with with my movies that I watch. Is I enjoy, I like when people are like, "Go watch the studio film." It's like sometimes I'll watch it, like Maze Runner. I went and watched because there's a couple of uh, there's a film I'm doing at Lionsgate. There's like a similarity to that, but mm. a lot of it is just like a business decision. Watching what some you know what some younger other filmmaker did that with a story that wasn't his, but he was hired based off a short that he he meant to make it. But those ninety nine nine ninety nine percent of the movies I like I watch are just never going to be that because I, I don't enjoy that anymore. Like what I need to enjoy, like I have gotten to the point where I have developed my own sort of taste. So like it, things that when I don't like them, like like certain movies, like most studio films where like the writing is off way too fast and everyone's afraid that people aren't going to get the emotions so the music just fucking babies you along. Like <laughs> it makes me so disgusted and upset. Yeah. And I'm like, why do I want to watch this? Why yeah, do I want to watch Avengers? It's like, a, that's not what I want to make, and yeah, it's popcorn, but dude, everything is fucking popcorn. I don't believe we, sh we are a society that should just be making popcorn. I think this once studios kind of get back into like like splitting up their tentpole budgets into like, here, let's make four really awesome $30 million films, you're going to start getting bangers again. Or even 10 or 15 mil, you know, like you can make even, it. Yeah, that's, those are the budgets for the two movies that I'm working on, like around the 20 million. And it's like, I only want that. Like, I want to be like Jim Jarmusch and go, no, fucking let's do 15, please. Yeah, because you have more control. <laughs> yeah, you have more control because, you know, it's a big risk for them. It takes, it's, it's, you got to understand the process, I think, as well. It's like you're asking somebody for a fortune, basically, a mini fortune to create something on a whim that you're going to go through and follow through with what you're saying and you're going to guarantee a, re a return on investment and they got to pay for their house in the the fucking hollywood hills and shit <laughs> it's a savage beast i think that the business of making films is very interesting i'm just curious to see where it's going and i believe in that same kind of concept where you want to if you're if you're entering into film and you're wanting to have more control the thing that i've realized and noticed from other directors that are starting out especially is the more control you have, the smaller the budget, and then you get to prove it. I bring up um, THX uh, 13, 1138 quite a bit because that's like George Lucas's film, you know. And then you see the transformation of a person when he goes and makes Star Wars, where it eats him alive, you know, because it's just such a big, it's such a big project for a person, and it just just devours him entirely yeah, that becomes who he is and that's why it's sort of weird to me i feel like george lucas has died because he sold what his soul was you yes, know and it's yes. like everyone has to do that it's a payout you know like it's the only way for you to achieve your final goal and deal with family and I, i've met some people who you know, getting a, a payout. And it's a kind of weird because you're like, but isn't this your child? And it's like, yeah. that doesn't work for, and that's how it separates, I think, like a filmmaker from like sort of like an imperial sort of uh, like a kind of um, entrepreneur. And, and that was something that he always kind of was deep down is he was kind of an entrepreneur. And it's sort of weird because when you watch THX, there's so many like dark themes that you're like, mm. why aren't these revisited? You're like, it's very interesting. I know how you did made this movie. Like, Though I'm still a fan of the short much more than the movie, mm. I think it was just to the point and just so much more provocative. I think the movie, yeah, there's just so much shit where you're like, wow, man, like I can't believe this guy made that. Yep. Um, I think that the model of the way things work now is, is a very strange place. Just in the last three to four years, I mean, the recession like had its own thing, but then once the recession kind of like neutralized a little bit, like 2010-ish, 2011, mm. 
you started to see kind of a, a, a language of, of baby filmmakers kind of not making it the way people are used to. I mean, you have Neil Blomkamp, who never went through a festival route, even though, yeah, he had a festival, something in a, in, a, in a South African festival that Peter Jackson saw. Yeah. Mo a lot of filmmakers just are getting picked up to make shit right out of the gate in a studio. I think the, the way it's working for me is kind of, uh, is kind of having, um, control as much as you can and and you can't really have that unless a you know an actor or a producer or b and in my case i'm sort of like learning that there's a lot of power when you can when you sort of run the when you control the ip you've created it you own it yeah and until they're sort of you're ready to make the movie like make it make it they don't own it you could at any point go i'm walking away and if they really like it and a lot of people they fall in love like all these people that get in the film they they, they love film there's other things they can do trust me you sure. know like, sure. They really remember the days of wow, that was a sick movie. Like, and that's something I always have to remind studio people is remember, you know, remember the force of filmmaking. Like, and I, every time a good movie comes out, I'm like, you know, did you see that movie? And I promote them to see it, or I'll send it to them. And a lot of it's just taste, but a lot of it's just exciting them to go. I am the guy where you make a movie not to go fuck yeah, like this is going to be a gajillion dollars. This is a movie where it'll 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 make your soul feel good that you're making movies that are valuable to you. you yeah, know, as proud a, as of being movie. a part of it. Yeah. 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 And, and sometimes the best people to do that with are the ones where like they make a lot of schlocky, like awful movies that make billions of dollars for a yes. studio because then they have the power to go, I'm going to help you make a $20 million movie because I can tell a studio what to do because I make so much money for them. Yeah. Um, and, and they want to make something great and take a risk, yeah. you know, because and that's something doing with controller was, is what it's, I went with a company that has never done anything like controller, but they literally like own Fox because of how much fucking money they make for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that it's just politics and, and you just have to deal with it. But if you really want to make movies, like those are the things you just get through. <laughs> it's personal relations. That's what I look at it as. We never really talked about your path. Uh, I want to go back to Art Center. So you're at Art Center. I remember, I remember one day somebody sent me a link for this music video for Cinnamon Chasers, and I, the song came on, and it was right when I was really into that kind of music. I still am, and I was like, this song is fucking dope. And then the music video, I'm like, this this music video is fucking rad. And then I found out that it was done by an art center student, and I was like, what the fuck? So then that was you. So years later, I think that's like, I don't know how long ago was that? It was like five years ago or something. Yeah, it's two that came out in 2009. Yeah. Um, a while ago. Think, yeah, and then I think, uh, but I think most people saw it like, yeah, between 2009 2010, it was sort of this really weird slow burn. I mean, it it blew up, but it just kept going and going, going and going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I made that while I was still in school. Yeah, and it's great. And I, and, and I, and by knowing that, and I was like, this is awesome. You had so much energy, um, and there was so much like kinetic energy in the the edit and the on, the ideas and the concepts and putting it all together and telling a story through not without any dialogue. I think that's if anybody's tasked to to make a film, I think you should make a film without any dialogue because you should be able to. I mean, Soderbergh just brought that up with the master. Spielberg when he was making Indiana Jones you know like black and white and there's no dialogue it's just you just watch it and you know what's happening and I think that you really figure that out with your flow in that one so you're in college you make cinnamon chasers how did it how did it go in, in college how was it received was it received well and then out of college where did you go and how did everything kind of span out to where you're at now um I mean it was it's good it's got its ups and downs like I sort of 
I try to do my best to to sort of uh, look at things that kind of went wrong as well, or things that sort of affected me negatively. Hey, my kitty's trying to jump on my clothes. Hey, get out of there, cat. Um, Respect the podcast. She, she gave me, she gave me the, like the crazy like dead cat eyes too. It was like the way the lighting was. Like it was like going in there. Like I love those. Yeah. At me, she was like, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, so uh, yeah, basically like um, uh, it, it did wonders for me. I mean, I was still, I still had a year left of school. So like, I made it in my, my off term. All right, yeah, in between two terms, then I took the next term off. So when it came out. It was interesting because I was never at school, but everybody I worked with went to school every day and uh, teachers would suddenly put it on. Like we had a a film uh, teacher, his name was JP, and he's like, uh, he he kind of is somebody who like is a proponent of uh, really admitting that he kind of didn't make it in the industry and he wanted (laughs) to become a DP and it sort of didn't work, but he's famous for writing books and he's a really successful like Southern California teacher. And the way he works is he just likes posing questions. He's not a very overly academic conceptual person. He doesn't have you write scripts. He's just very like, he wants you to make a short that uses obstructions or he wants you to make a short where you only use sound design, no music and no dialogue, whatever. But like he would always, what he would ask you questions of kind of made no sense, but only when you think back, you realize what he was trying to do, mm. and it was just to really challenge you. And he never would give compliments because he just he, compliments aren't good. And he would do that even to this day. I send him stuff, and he'll say, "This is great, blah blah blah." But I want you to know that you have ne- you're, you're, you haven't made it, and you will never make it because when you know you made it, you will be destroyed. You know, like <laughs> he just says these things where it's like you know, it's like what the fuck, you know, like just get, just get, like, give me like one kiss on my cheek, motherfucker. Um, but like it just like it doesn't work like that and you love him for it because he would sure. only do that he only, he only respond to people he really likes but he was like that with michael bay he taught there with michael bay he taught there with tarsem he taught there with mark webb with Zack snyder said mm. the same shit about them and he says they have suffered from the same problem so you know like it's like he's not he's not he doesn't pretend to go like they found their own like he's kind of like nope i still think they're broken but at least they know what they like doing you know yeah um, of course and, and they and yeah they find found a way to make it work and for me it was like i made that it felt like great but it was the first thing i made like that i was really proud to show and it kind of fucked me up because i thought that i kind of had to do something like that always and so for a really long time i couldn't decide on what i wanted to make like everything just never like clicked and solidified mm. even though i was getting i was got signed right after it came out and i was writing so who do you stuff. get signed by and how'd that all work uh, I got signed by a, a small company called Pater, um, and you know I was approached by like Partisan and a couple of bigger companies, but I didn't like how big their rosters were, so I went with someone that was a little bit more mom and pop. And it was good because it was good because it was very personal with me. They took care of me, but they just unfortunately didn't agree on certain things, and they sort of just didn't have the reach I needed for them. And I didn't think that they had kind of the power I needed to sort of because I realized I didn't really want a production company to sort of be my parents and, and anything other than commercials and videos and even in videos these days it, it, you're self-billing people just come to you very few times do reps hook you up you know other than yeah. just letting you know it's a treatment to write on but they don't really sell you anymore these days and there's a, a lot shame. of reasons for that but, yeah. but the thing is is it's like yeah like i would say that it took me about a year and, I, and then i made like the midnight club trilogy and there's a lot of like stuff from love deluxe stemmed off that but i feel like that was sort of another evolution into like kind of my curiousness for for sort of like you know um, uh, rewarding violence or rewarding sort of like, you know, um, like rescue movie kind of stuff, but also like my, like a hint at sort of the, the absurdist that I like putting in and the kind of a little bit of exploration of like kind of eighties vibes and spirits. Yes. There's a you lot of all that energy that in there. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's 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 kind of messy. Even though I look back on it sometimes, and I'm like, I really like. It's like fun for me to watch because you're just sort of like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> um, but but which is which? which so I can't watch Love Deluxe ever again. Like when I did this keynote in Amsterdam, like sure. I was like, I look down. Like most of the videos, I look down. A couple I looked up because I haven't seen. Um, you know enough to get sick of but what is that about work because i do the same thing is it is it a weird like is it i always look at it as that's my past self i don't exist that that person doesn't exist anymore therefore the work i don't acknowledge it yeah i mean that's that's an intellectual intellectualized version for me if i were to say (laughs) something like that i would probably just be like oh ah um (laughs) <laughs> the South but Park think, version. Yeah, there's something there's something to be said about yeah. It probably it's like, one thing I remember talking to Keith Schofield is another director, and he says that when you make something, it doesn't be, after it's done, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not yours, and it never will be ever again. It belongs to the world. Sure. And and I think that's a fantastic way to look at it because it means a it makes you really humble and realize you're a fucking entertainer. Yeah. You shouldn't be masturbating for yourself. You know, and even no. enter, under the skin, it's like that is not masturbation. That is somebody who really knows. Like the viewers from the music, even though he just wants to shake you in a different way than a traditional film, there are films where you're just like, this is masturbation. Like, I, I mean, I love Miranda July, but like a lot of her stuff to me is just like, this is what you want to watch. And that's, <laughs> and as much as that's honest, like, filmmakers' jobs are to be entertainers. Steve McQueen gets that. Like, your job is to be a philosopher, yeah. uh, an entertainer, uh, an educator, yeah. whatever. You know, all of those, some of those, whatever. Like, I'd like to do it all because I'm retarded like that. But I think that, <laughs> I think a lot of filmmakers, like, I know Fincher, he's an entertainer. Soderbergh even flat out says, like, I'm a sucker for, 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 for the audience. Like, I will change my decisions if an audience, like, is liking something else. You I've know? heard he's incredibly insecure as well. Like, incredibly doubting, self-doubting. Yeah, I mean, and that's, it shows very, very obviously. Um, but I think, I think the, the problem is, is that I think Fincher, or sorry, Soderbergh is somebody that I have found to be um, uh, somebody who has found himself. Okay, remember that statement you said earlier um, that it, you know your taste is always there, even if you're sort of learning how to make shit, you know, yes. uh, or or, the, or certain like elements you sort of are picking up as you go or exploring. But your taste is kind of always there, and maybe just getting refined and refined and refined. Yeah, he's somebody who has mastered his taste, but I don't think he knows who he is. And yeah. he's really somebody who with an identity crisis, absolutely. And I admire that, but I learned really quickly in film school. He is somebody you can't be. Like just like a PT, even though PT, PT I think is a little bit more of a like overall successful, like everything he makes is kind of a masterpiece in its own way. Damn him. Soderberg is somebody where he's just like soul searching till he dies in a way where it's like I, I, he can't really probably even admit that I, he doesn't know who the hell he is. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, how could you expect and, that from somebody that doesn't know, you know? So Yeah, and, and I think that's why he, but that's why I think he's brilliant. Like we should all learn from, yeah. from that sort of mentality and I, and I think he's coming to terms with it because I think that he has he's so willing to talk and talk and yes. talk and give talks but a lot of it is because like he's kind of talking to himself it, no, absolutely he's self uh, medicating and self I mean that's what this podcast is sometimes too it's it's just getting a chance to obviously connect with other people but also being able to get these ideas out to understand who I am as a person and who you are as a person understand the deeper under like the deeper connections as to what it is that we're doing sometimes as a human being or as a creature of this earth like you just continue your habits and and, and sometimes all it takes is for another human being to go hey you know what like you're standing out in the sun too much and you keep getting a sunburn like step over to the left a little bit and you're like oh yeah like 
but now I don't have a sunburn. I feel okay now, and you can, ex <laughs> you know what I mean. There's certain things where you can fall into your own faults, and and uh, I see that a lot in certain creatives. You know, it's interesting. It's a, it's it's a really weird thing. You know, I think, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating stuff. Really thinking about it. Yeah, Soderbergh is a good example, though. I love studying his stuff. I think a, a, one of the best advice that I've gotten from understanding and studying all this stuff is just really just to be yourself. You know, uh, I'm reading this book, um, Stephen King's Memoirs, the on writing. Have you read that book? Mm -hmm. Stephen King. He wrote um, a book about kind of his writing process. It's really interesting. I'm about halfway through it. It's, it's, it the, he, he's writing in a very interesting way where he's telling all these childhood stories and how he kind of just climbed the ladder and he's getting, I'm at the stage right now where he became an absolute alcoholic and then it was getting into like cocaine and stuff when he was writing The Shining and stuff and how he actually beca Dude, became... See, everyone fall, falls in that, so, that era was just crazy damaging. <laughs> it was. I, I really, I, I mean, I can't, I, I can't follow down that same path. I, I got to really try to avoid it. I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody. But what was really interesting, I was reading last night, it was fascinating, is that when he, he finally understood that when he was writing The Shining, or actually when he was writing Misery, is that the main, uh, the lady in Misery was actually the drugs. It was the, it was the alcohol that was consuming him, and he was in a very dark place in his life, and he was using her as a metaphor, and that's why it felt so real. That's why her. That's why her character felt so gripping because he was basically. I mean, he keeps writing himself, right? He puts himself in all these movies. You know, he's self-understanding himself. He's self-therapy through his books because he is the writer in that. But the drugs and alcohol is the evil woman. You know, and it's just really interesting how, you know, she keeps destroying him, which is what alcohol was, alcoholism and stuff was doing. But um, that to, very painful to watch. Yeah, I remember it's... I saw this kid. My parents were not very responsible with me when it came to movies. Well, they kind of were. They would teach me about like whenever it was a shocking film, they would always talk to me about like how fake it was and people <laughs> act like that or people act like that or are troubled people. You know, sure. you always communicate your problems and be honest with yourself. Like certain That's interesting good. things. It seems like your parents raised you maturely. Then they i think so i mean i'm still pretty fucking immature but um we're men so we will always be immature so yeah perhaps but i think that uh, our design. You know, i think there, there's a responsibility i think the one thing that they like that i i really hand to them is is trust i think filmmakers they usually like uh, a very common thing you'll notice with a lot of filmmakers is it's like middle class families where parents just gave their kids lots of trust and really <laughs> supported them through their lives that's yeah. something that's very common I've learned from filmmakers. I mean, there's sure. obviously filmmakers that are like rag to riches, and then you can always tell because they go and make like gajillion dollars, you know? <laughs> um, and then they're the rich filmmakers, like the, the Harmony Corins, sort of like, you know, come at it like, well, I'm not, I'm not looking to, for opportunities. I want to just communicate because I can do that, and I don't need to satisfy this other thing. Um, but yeah. then it's very obvious. You see like the PTs and the Spielbergs and, you know, the George Lucases. There's this really like insane, like overly passionate, you know, Crazy work um, ethic too, like we'll kill themselves like, for the for the project. Work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's overly driven, is what it is. I mean, to the point where it's it can be disastrous in other areas. I mean, like you know, I have a hard time in just like life functioning and, and it's like paying bills, it, relationships. It's just really fucking tough, man. And and I think that that's because uh, you know I think people get better at it. Like a lot of people, that's why people get assistance. Some 
It's like you just um, you're constantly just like this is time that I'm wasting if, unless I do this. Uh, this is you know what I mean. Like I don't want to be going and standing in the DMV. I don't want to be do you know what I mean. There's so many things sure. just like I to do, but it it fucks you up. But I I think that's just kind of like that um, you never know, know though you, you could sit be sitting in the line for the dmv and hearing a conversation between two people and it'll just blow your mind of the, the stupidity or the brilliance of something and you're going to be so inspired you know i think writing and i think i think the best writers have the best lives they're not the best lives but they have the most character character in their lives you know it was really weird too and i was reading this book is stephen king had a lot of similarities he was raised by his mom and he had a brother, an older brother, I think, and and uh, just the duality between all these these situations that were occurring in his life. It actually, I was telling Anthony when I was reading it, it was putting me into an anxious state of mind because it was reminding me how far I've come, but how fragile my success is and how it could all crumble away. And my biggest fear is not able to provide for my family and put them in the situation that I was grow- raised in. And I think that that's the work ethic that really pushes through on a lot of things you know like there's no like in america or wherever anywhere i guess it's like if you don't if you don't come to the plate to bat and you don't hit a home run then you're like you suck (laughs) you know and that feeling that pressure of coming to the bat and slamming it you know out of the like just hitting home runs as much as you can I don't know. It's for me. It's just there's a really. You talked about commonalities between all these filmmakers. I've noticed that some of my favorite creatives or filmmakers have come from it, an adverse background, and I think it's because they have a lot to take, lots of, lots of things to say. Basically, you know, they have a lot of weird experiences, and it's almost like just to go off on that tangent is pain almost makes good art, you know, or not pain, but the strife of life, I suppose. You know, what do you think about that stuff? I mean, I think I think that that's something that I've always was nervous about. I remember kind of going, I don't have a life. Like, what what am I going to talk about? And there was always this thing of like, you know, th- there's a reason like, you know, kit film students do things like hitman stories, you know, and you're always worried about, I've always been paranoid about subject matter. I've always mm-hmm. been paranoid about, um, do I know about this topic or sure. blah, blah, blah. And I think that really the way to do it is there's a stubbornness. You have to put your foot down at a certain point, and there's a stubbornness that a filmmaker needs to embody for the rest of their lives. And it, that can change, evolve, loosen, whatever, but it's got to always be there. And I think a lot of filmmakers um, just sort of underestimate the power they have to just go in and live a certain life. Like, I don't want to ever make a movie about, uh, you know, the Holocaust, because I just don't know anything about it, and I'm so far removed, and I, there's so many people that would be better about it. But if I wanted to make like a movie about an ex-Holocaust person that ends up becoming some weird, crazy, you know, mathematician who solves, you know, some weird crisis underwater, I don't know, like that, that would be interesting. And <laughs> sure. then, you know, I'd explore. But but I think for me, it's like I don't, uh, I don't, I don't hate on myself be- or or make decisions because someone's had a really crazy life. And I think that Hollywood right now is missing out on certain people like that. Like I think Eric Roth or or, or Tony Kushner. Like I was just watching Munich, and both those guys have had very, quite interesting lives. You know, mm-hmm. though though you know uh, Eric Roth comes from a family of filmmakers. You know, that worked in TV, and he's like a you know he's like a third generation UC alum. You know, it's like 
it's it's some of that sort of like Ugh, really but then you're like nah because you don't really understand that like a lot of these people there are certain things about them you don't know that they've done and i think for me what i can always speak on is like psycho psychology you know i think mean, i can always speak on psychology and emotion and and that's why like at the theme of things i talk about or at least like at the core they're all very simple because that's what i know but i think like yeah there's certain things that i think like a novelist or, or I think when like people like Kubrick, like Kubrick, for instance, is a great example of somebody who hasn't done it, didn't do anything interesting in his life other than just research for seven years. But that's what it took for him to feel comfortable mastering a subject matter, you know. Sure. And and that's that's that shows you that fuck anybody that says you need to go and like live on a fucking fisherman boat in Norway, motherfucker. It's like no, nah, <laughs> I can go lick a dick, you know. He's got some other agenda to crush your spirit, you know. Sure. But I do think having an interesting life is something that you can't just go out and look for. You just need to be open-minded, and 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 things you say you hate, revisit him a couple of years later, and see. Make sure you hate him because a lot of times there's things that you go, I hate that, and you're like, it's become my favorite thing ever, you know? Yeah, that's common with like friendships and people. You know, I remember moving around a lot, and I'd, there would be like a douchey kid, and I would hate them at first, and then eventually I'd they'd be my best friend. Getting water by the way, so just bear with me. Take me with you, carry me along. Yeah. yeah. You like um, LA or what? You were you were making friends and what else? Oh, just you know, like you're talking about how something that you hate at first eventually becomes something that you learn to love, and I think that's because you've gone to the the far edge of understanding where that can go, and then you can bring it all the way back, you know. Mm-hmm. So then you know your boundaries. I think we were talking about that early about breaking things. I was talking to my wife about my daughter, how she how she learns is very much spontaneous and breaking everything and pushing the barriers. So she knows where the, where the bubble is, I suppose. I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's challenging as a parent because, you know, the teachers are calling like, Hey, you know, (laughs) it's a troublemaker. It doesn't (laughs) behave. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and part of me is like, damn it. I feel like I'm failing as a parent, but at the same time I realize that nah, she's just, She's just a really... Uh, em- em- embrace it. As long as they understand that they can't be psycho and just go break shit for the rest of their lives, you know? Uh, like, no, she's going to be powerful. I think, yeah, it's totally... And she's going to question things. And I think that you should tell her, like, a lot of times... Like, I think the thing is, is respect and... Uh, sure. Uh, uh, kind of having a, a chain of command. Certain things that I think, like, need to just happen, in, like, for a child to learn. But I think there's so much of an emphasis of your teachers are always right what you should learn to of a teacher is respect them but there should be a point where you realize they they don't have to necessarily be right it's teachers should not be teaching opinions they should be teaching i think facts and a lot of them that's their job that's good. and it, and unfortunately a teacher is still a person with a soul and they're going to have opinions that are going to sort of leak onto children and that's always a problem i've had um, with things, and that's why when like I watch certain things, like I love Tony Zoo, and I love that that thing he put on Fincher, uh, the 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 little video he made. But I have big issues with opinion, and there's a lot, lot of merging of opinion and fact and some of that stuff, and I ha- I get really upset by that because I'm like, you don't know, you know, <laughs> you just assume, but it bothers me because that guy is alive, he's not a dead person. We- why are we talking like this? You know, like uh, it just, it, I, and I think it's fine. It's not really designed for people like me either. I think, and, and I, I think it's just, it's just more of an appreciation or like sort of people who kind of go, Oh, I've ha- I like his movies and really deduce, Oh, he doesn't use handheld a lot. Um, but I think a lot mm. of the reasoning to me is upsetting because I feel like that's just not, 
I don't know, like every filmmaker that I love, like you hear them talk about why they did something. And a lot of times it's like not uninteresting. Sometimes it's just so simple sure. and it's emotive. And, you know, I think Kubrick was someone that was like that too. Like he, his reasoning for things half the time never exist, you know? And Wait, you're just like, Not until hell? they're on the set and the energy's telling them and the actor's got this feeling and they're looking at the actor through the glass and they go, you know what? Jack doesn't look good in this light right now. Let's move the light yeah. a little bit. And Jack, change the line and try this. Jack and changes do it 10, the line. Thousand more times, yeah. Yeah, that's really weird. What do you think of the multiple take thing? What? Why do you think dudes are doing it? Why have they done it for so long? Do you think that it's, they're looking uh, for perfection, it's, it's, or they want a control in the editing room? Because making I mean, a film, the, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I think no, no, that's totally fine. I, I mean, like I, that's something that you know. I, I, I mean, there's two ways I can look at it. One is my assumption of 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 the technique and why people would use it. And then kind of the way I look at it, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I think Kubrick, for instance, there's a lots of times where people have always said he even, and he, even he would say it is, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. And sometimes that yeah. mentality means you have to search and search and you're not satisfied. And a lot of filmmakers just are, are not smart. I don't want to say that they're not smart, but like Sidney Lumet is a terrific actor's director right he would nail shit in like three days but he yeah. would put the act hey he's just smart so he picks the actors that i think w will work in that way he's not the kind of guy that would just challenge himself with a retarded actor if he d thought someone was retarded <laughs> he was notorious for going okay I, I, I miscasted or or no this person's not right i don't care if they're in right now okay um but he would only do like three or four takes um and i think it's just it's because he just you know he knew he knew what he wanted was honesty and when he sensed it that was it. You move on. With Fincher and Kubrick, there was a lot more of a, I want something specific. I kind of don't know if I want it, and I'm questioning whether that's right. <laughs> I'm going to keep going until, A, I run out of juice, or B, I get surprised. And Fincher has said, my favorite thing as a filmmaker, which a lot of people, I think, find surprising, but he says, my favorite thing as a filmmaker now is being surprised. And, and that's something that's really of a surprise for Fincher, because you kind of think, oh, he knows exactly what he wants. I mean, like, yeah, kind of, but not really. I think what, what's amazing for a filmmaker is when they can build a universe that has its own organicness, and, and oftentimes that's what filmmakers are looking for. But on a negative side, it's, I don't know what I want, I'm not sure and confident I got it, and I'm overcompensating. And then you know that happens sometimes when you're in the editing room and you realize take five was awesome and take 20 was pointless. And you remember having hurt another scene or a sequence or shot because you didn't recognize that that was right. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and Fincher's even had problems like that too. Like Angus Wall has said, "I pick take one, two, and three When he's gotten to seventy and said that was his favorite take, and Fincher, <laughs> Fincher comes back and goes, "Okay, yeah, you're yeah." This is like those little nuances, and they want to have those extra bits in their editing room. I, I, I guess the other argument is like, "Hey, we're all here. The crew's here. The lights are set up. Everything's ready to go. Why don't we just get another ten takes? Just because, yeah, you know? get it right. Yeah, yeah. Let's but just do it." A lot it. of times, people aren't machines, though. You need to be as a director. You need to be adaptive. And when some sure. people really hurt their souls when they act, they really are like, like Anthony Hopkins. Like you can't ask that guy to go. No, you, no. Yeah, he, I love the commentary for the Highlander film too, where they said, "I think they, they, uh, they had him in, I think for a week or something to do all his shots." And they, I think the director was commenting on that same thing where he's such a powerhouse where you just kind of just take the first or second take of him, you know, like you can't ask m more out of him necessarily because he aims to, to nail it the first time, you know, and mm -hmm. you got to kind of respect that power, I suppose. But I think all this talk, it's really funny because 
talking about films, talking about art, talking about the process, you could really talk about it forever and it's a never ending process because uh, we can really talk about this now is, is actually going out and doing it and, and, and being there on set. And a lot of people like to talk without making films. And, and the thing that I really like appreciate when we talk about films is that, I mean, you're already ahead of me. You've already had a lot more experience, but we can talk more about us going out and doing it and trying these things out. And the only way to really understand this stuff, to be completely honest from my perspective, is that you have to get out and you have to go and you have to fucking do it. That's the only way, because you must get miles, you know, if you don't, if all you do is sit around and watch the commentaries and watch films, like, you're only getting a fraction of the of the education that you need. You need to go grab cameras and get your friends and build a story and go out there and do it. Do you feel the same way? Um, absolutely. I mean, Scorsese has a quote where he says, every, uh, every, every young filmmaker needs to shoot the shit out of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which is a great saying because it's kind of like, wait, does that mean just shoot the shit out of stuff, or does that mean shoot, <laughs> like shoot the garbage that's within me? It means both, you know, <laughs> just to see what sticks um, and just get and, the miles. And yeah, exactly, exactly, because your body will naturally have start to develop. Like, well, first of all, you can't have in, you can't in, learn instincts, but you can you can hone in and you can get better at it. And certain people just you're like it really in, instantly you're like your instincts just aren't good for film. I, I don't ever want to put any human down that they're not good at anything that's not true at all but their instincts for film just aren't quite there and there are some some people their instincts are decent and then they need to hone in on it and a, a lot of times that's just really what it is is people learning quickly that the brain can be the kind of worst enemy for certain you know i guess types of art and i think that with film it's like weird because it's kind of this balance mm. um and because i'm emotionally driven person doesn't mean i like you know I'm, i jump out a window when i want to jump out a window but it means basically like i don't like to overthink things you know in a in a in, in um when i want to become passionate about it but then when i overthink it is when i'm like sort of like ha covering my base but i like over overly do it and it becomes really intense and really hard to shoot and I think the best, the sort of, the, I, I'm always finding myself having to strip away because my brain naturally kind of doesn't have the sort of like the genius of kind of like default being able to do that. I kind of have to like strip that, strip the fat away. But the thing that I do find that I'm very blessed to have is like these like germs of just like, whoa, that's, 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 that's something that's special. That's something that's unique. That's been kind of gotten easier and easier and easier and easier. And it keeps getting easier for me only because like the world seems endless and limitless but i'm also like learning the things that i'm passionate about and so that i'm not like stuck going what can i think of you know it's sure. more like what am i feeling now go off of it if you don't want to repeat yourself find another way to do it it's like fincher you know people said zodiac seven come on you're repeating yourself not really seven is a straight up thriller murder mystery yeah, zodiac totally is a procedural <laughs> yeah yeah you know? And then we tricks you into thinking it's the it's it's seven and then halfway like not even halfway, forty five minutes in the movie, there's not a single killing ever again. It's just paranoia and obsession. Yeah, you know? that's true. I was I was recently studying um Zodiac. It's a very interesting film going through all that stuff. It was weird. I think it's one of his most mature films, to be honest, actually. Yeah, I think so too. I really enjoy it. I think it's one of those films that's overlooked. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, people don't really pay attention to it so much, which I there's a couple scenes in that film where, which are fucking fantastically amazing and brutal. The stabbing scene by the lake, I mean... Oh, I love that. That's you know, If you ever watch the movie Cruising, you'll see where he pulled that from. Mm. It's ridiculous, though. It's, so. it's by William Friedkin, who did French Connection and Exorcist and stuff. 
cruising, okay? But Yeah, but he takes it to the next level for sure. And, he, and because cruising was in the 80s, early, early 80s, like 1980, I think, um, he, you know, Fincher's able to, like, you know, show more of it because of the CG and the retractable blade, and he just, sure. like, you know, makes it look like it goes in the body. Um, there's more of it, but you can see, like, there's something powerful about not cutting... It's ridiculous. ...around... Be, you know, like cutting to a close up. It's like, no, you're just going to oh. see it in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's a lot of patience. So. <laughs> it's brutal. I remember the first time I watched that and I, I was just like, you know, I almost threw my hands in my eyes because it was so honest. And usually I learned a lot from those scenes. Anytime that a movie makes me do that emotionally, I, I, I take mental note and go, why? And, and I'll rewatch the scene and it's brutal, but that's exactly why what you just said, I think it's, is exactly what makes it so brutal is because the camera just stays there. It does, it's not like a jump cut, you know? That whole scene is very much staged in pacing, and it's almost, I look back, it almost as an, uh, like almost as an influence, kind of like um, like a Hitchcock almost, you know, where you're just staying on that thing where the tension's so high, you know, rather than just like cutting, 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 cutting to switch the feel of it. It's just like, nope, this lady's getting stabbed, and you're going to see it. It's a bright, beautiful, sunny day, and you're going to watch somebody get murdered. It's horrible, you know? super dark let's get out of this dark realm let's talk about your basement jacks thing because that was a lot of fun i remember you sending me some stuff from it it was like this is going to be a lot of fun and you passed it along and i was like oh no he didn't this is I, I, the thing i like i want to bring up again is i can tell that you're enjoying what you're doing with your work and i appreciate that because i think some people sometimes people take their stuff too seriously and not like you don't i know you do but i think you're enjoying and you're having fun and playing with you know, you're playing, you know, you're, you're, you're experimenting with social, you know, norms and stuff. I'm just guessing, but how'd that come about? Give us a little rundown on like kind of the process of, you know, how'd that, you know, did they see, did there, was there an agency or there's somebody involved that's like, you should do this or, you know, these guys like your stuff. They want you to do their video or, and then you're like, I want to have a, a shaking ass. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, it was uh, m most videos. Yeah, they're they're very very rare on a video where there's an idea predisposed. I think Calvin Harris was the only one where there was like a germ of something about cars, mm -hmm. um, and then I went off that. But that was just because like you know I had a huge Calvin Harris boner, so I was like I, I'm I'm just gonna do it. I don't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> but most of the time, nine nine like I would say actually every single video besides that has always been yeah we like this guy's stuff whether they've known about it before or like the uh, commissioner at you know who's basically the person that's you know either works at the label or is a freelance person that's in between the label and the production company um, basically will pass over the work and kind of just vet for you um and then they become excited um and a lot of times what happens is you write an idea and they like it and they'll have some notes or questions or sometimes you just got to get on a, on a on a call like um and with basement jacks uh, they love my treatment they love my uh, my reel and then my very first treatment they didn't like because it wasn't it was, the first treatment actually was not about twerking robots <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's uh i'm hesitant to bring it up because i think i'm going to reuse it but Good. i think you get it with it. i think I think a select few will find ownership if they remember where this came from. But basically, I had an idea where it was all going to be uh, male montage, montages of males being rejected by women. And then it would just turn into like absolute absurdity. Um, but it's like kind of just depressing, but in a funny way. But sure. it's very like Louis C.K., a little bit more pop than that. Mm. Um, they just found it so sad. Like they're really emotional, really, really like loving humans, those guys. I've heard like, that, yeah. So 
so loving. It's ridiculous. Like it makes you want to cry. You know when people are so awesome that you want to cry because you're like, I'm not good. <laughs> I hate myself now. Um, like that was how they were, and and they were like, you know, where's the love? Where's the blah blah blah? And so I, I did the you know the this working robot, and then they kind of were like, this feels like it's for another video, and I was like, well, first of all, there's a juxtaposition juxtaposition that I like. But I told them I'm going to I want I'm going to make it sexy and it's going to weird people out, you know. And and I was worried that they just wanted sexy, but I'm like, no, these guys get like absurdity and awkwardness and slight like whoa, like unsettling. And they brought up all you know the Bjork, um, all is full of love, and though they know tonally that was totally different and not sure. appropriate. Once they brought that up, I said, okay, you're you guys, you're on the same page as me, and so I kind of just basically like let them know a little bit of what I was planning and that there was going to be like a relationship of the people. Like that's the part that I liked the most. I mean, the twerking robot was great, but like once I knew, like, okay, I got it. We built the robot. Cool. I was really intrigued by the relationship part of it, and I didn't get to explore it that much. But that was the whole point of the video: is that it, it, I mean, in a movie, I, those would be reversed. I wouldn't focus on the twerk bot. I'd focus on those two people. But in this video. That's something when you say, you know, you, you have fun with it. Yeah, it's not fun making. Believe me, it's not fun at all. But uh, the creating it, the incepting of it, and then the reward of people sort of like reacting intensely to it, whether it's funny, whether it's I'm offended, whether people think it's real, that's all the reward. But I think for me, it's which did happen, lots of like hate mail. But, but Did you get a lot of hate mail from that? The thing is... Um, the thing is, is it's, a, it's like, you know, you, you are making something for lots of people and, and you have to kind of know what you're making. If you're making like a, I, I, I know that many people aren't going to watch this just by the nature of what it is, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, I wanted to find, I try to do that with everything I do in a, to a certain capacity is have an entertainment value, a hook that doesn't trick people. It's not a gimmick, but yeah, there's a quality that, you know, you have to sort of go, what will people enjoy? But then you kind of, you know, once they're yours, you, sh- you shake them up. You know, and I think sure. that Fincher does that. I think Soderbergh does that. I think all my favorite filmmakers know how to do that. Is they hook you in through a certain sentimentality or a certain spectac- spectacularness or iconography, and that's something that the twerking was. Is like, okay, let's let's watch this because let's get on the bandwagon. And then when people watch it, their soul is like slightly like damaged because they realize they just developed a boner for a robot. <laughs> I think that's when, like, when people really get pissed, and that's when a lot of people get offended. <laughs> All the people who are offended were the people that were somehow like affected. Aroused by it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like there are people who literally like would sometimes say it as a joke, but I loved because people would make jokes for people who would never make a comment because they were embarrassed that that actually happened to them, which was seriously like, P.S., is it okay that I had a boner, you know? <laughs> or people would say comments like, are there holes that come with it? Uh. <laughs> what does self-lubricating mean, you know? Uh. Like there's questions people got really intense by it and then there were people who were just straight up like the world is going to hell why are we making twerking robots for billions of dollars when we can cure cancer it's you know? so funny i think i saw that fucking comment you idiot and oh, you're just man. like so like i don't have to say a single word you, you know shouldn't like, yeah do you read comments i think they're they're soul crushing sometimes because they're just mm-hmm. the stupidity of people you're like oh you're so dumb or read them when it actually it depends on the project sure uh, Basement Jacks, I just get a laugh out of it every <laughs> So that's that's okay. And and I don't go hunting. It's usually like, you know, uh, someone will send me something and I'll go on like a little binge and then I'll go, okay, okay, whatever. I don't have time for this anymore. Yeah. Um, but 
sometimes what will happen is, yeah, I'll revisit an old video just to see what people say. And it's, it's great when you make like the Cinnamon Chasers video because it, there, were the, there were two camps. There were just people who were affected and then there were people that were obsessed with like POV and the technique and that camera that just came out and all that. And it's great to have that be gone. And it's just all the stuff left is still people going, what the fuck? You yeah, know, like, yeah. like, oh, my God, like, this reminds me of my relationship. And it's weird because it's like, no, it doesn't. You didn't do this. But, but that's okay. <laughs> Your job as a filmmaker is to make people think that that's their relationship. And that's what Eternal Sunshine does. That's what a lot yeah. of films end up doing. And that's that's what I like. I like minimalism. I like making my characters, like in Controller, the biggest thing I told Fox is, like, I want these kids to cook food. I want them to play with their kitty. <laughs> you know, I want them to be so like normal and almost kind of boring, but they're not. There's they're interesting, but they're like I don't want them to be overly exciting and quirky because I think that that's that's the way I like hooking people is like the whole thing is relatable to everyone. Sure. Lying in bed with your woman and playing kitty and then and then cutting to you playing with your kitty all by yourself. That's depressing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're writing yourself again, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, and then that's what you know. I think the best writing comes from what you know. You know, whether it, whether it be love or your understanding of love or under misunderstanding of love. You know, and playing with those interesting things. But yeah, the basement jacks is a lot of fun. I found it. I know that was had you know making this stuff isn't easy. Um, but I I feel like you you make it make it fun, and I feel like you make it easy. Like it looks like you make it easy, which I think is the best part. You know, as a viewer. Um, knowing that it is not easy and it's complicated as it is and stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, I think that there's certain, I think that when you actually can recognize something's complicated, it often means it's not good in my opinion sometimes, like unless you know how the craft works and you're, you know, you're smart dude, you know how a lot of stuff works. So that's the same thing as you, like when you, when you watch Gone Girl, it upsets me because it's like no one in this room knows how hard that tone, the music, the decisions to sort of have weird like cuts and fades and certain things you're just like, man, like that's hard. But people don't recognize that because he's trying to make a movie that just anybody can watch and digest. Where there are movies like The Matrix where it's so like, look how complicated this is. But then you're (laughs) like, not really, not as complicated as this or that. Like the story of The Matrix is not as complicated as it is on like a philosophical level but it doesn't even really get into that um but like when you watch yeah same thing with kubrick like i think a lot of people don't understand that but like when you watch inception like that's a movie where when i watch it i go that's complicated but i know that that's why the movie kind of is half broken to me because it's just overly complicated it at its core doesn't work in an emotional way because it's so much it the whole movie's trying to explain Explain itself itself, yeah yeah without without yeah it's very well it's because it's I think with that film in general, he he made something that was complex, but he he had he was stuck to the confines of making a multi million multi million dollar film. Therefore, he had to sell it to everybody. Therefore, he had to dumb dumb it down in a sense where it had to be sold easily to everybody that was to watch it. And I think that um, I when the first time I watched Inception, I was like, I watched it visually and audibly, you know. And Hans Zimmer is just like it's such a little genius of that music it just really hits it over the head and so i was like i left the theater i went i don't even know what that story was about i didn't pay attention but damn there was some beautiful shots some crazy concepts yeah and then that's the train in the city uh and this the score and just you know even the 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 van flying off the bridge and the and the whole hotel anti-gravity thing and i was just like dude and and the Wally Fisker did a really great job with the DOP work. It had some really great emotional tones. The sets, you know, that set where the, where the, in the beginning where he goes to that big table with all the Chinese lamps and stuff and the lighting and the setting. Yeah. Was, I was just like, dude, this is a great set. And 
Anyway, so then, then three times later I watch it, and I just I only watch it for the story, and then I start to get really annoyed instantly because I'm like, ah, it's just, you know, there's certain bits in the story where they're just trying to explain itself, and, and then I go all the way back to one of my favorite films, and I still think is is his best film, is The Prestige. It's one of my favorite films, too, because mm-hmm. of just the story and the way it's put together as a film. It's just a really great film for me. And it's just a lot of passion, and it's also a lot of what's cool is it's like you can tell it's like yeah, it's like it's like sim, it, it's like totally a like you know metaphor for films. You know, like there's even yeah. the Hollywood like versus indie kind of battle. There's the like you know trying to outdo the other person. There's the like sort of you know, and then and then when one person surpasses the other, they sort of become kind of like part of the machine or soulless. And yes. I, there's so many things and ph- philosophical ideas in that movie that are amazing. But it, sometimes you have to wonder, you know, you have to ask why, and you'll never know. But like I like to like take a look at like who's billed first. For instance, you know, Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan. It's not a surprise that they write together. However, if you look at certain movies, you'll notice sometimes the order of their names appear different, mm. or sometimes you realize one brother is missing for inception one brother was missing jonathan nolan was not involved in the writing process of inception so that's one reason where you go maybe jonathan nolan is who makes the shit well awesome but okay he was involved in dark knight two and three but the billing is christopher nolan and jonathan nolan when you look at prestige it's screenplay by jonathan nolan and christopher nolan and the wga rules always states whoever wrote most of it is going to get the first title Mm. so it's uh, also based on a really great book too Great. Yeah. So Christopher Priest, but even though the, that book is like kind of just like this like unmovieable film, like they yes. were able to really distill it. I think yeah, there's a source, there's a soul of the source material that exists so well that a movie like Inception d- didn't start with that kind of soul. It just didn't have it. It was it was all about how cool a, a brain is, and then it was just like his old school themes of like you know obsession and his wife and all that. And it's like even though that story was awesome, that was my favorite part. I just wish. Sure. I just Same. wish it had breathing time. I wish that's what the movie was about. I would be so much more interested if the upstream color, you know, guy <laughs> had this kind of, or, or had the sort of like ability that Nolan had, and they kind of merged to make Inception. Then it would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's just the way it is. And I think that you know, I'm excited to see Interstellar because the billing is John Nolan, then Chris Nolan. So and yeah. also John Nolan worked heavily with Steven Spielberg. So Spielberg just can't not have soul. So like I think that it'll just be inherently embedded in the movie. Um, but my favorite Nolan film um, is Memento by far, mm, only because I respect film. the yeah. I respect the sort of discipline of just it's super small. He really revolutionized and made something that no one can ever copy. He made something his bitch, you know, like he made he broke cinema and put it together, and you can never do that ever ever again. Yeah, because he owns that. Yeah, he owns that that space. I bring up yeah, the film uh, uh, The Imposter a lot. Have you seen The Imposter? The documentary. No, I haven't. You haven't seen that? You should watch mm-hmm. that. It's, no. it's watch it and tell me what you think. And anybody that's listening that hasn't watched The Imposter, watch it. It's a it's a half documentary, half reenactment, but it's the way it's put together. Mm, it's two thousand twelve, two thousand one imposter. Uh two thousand twelve, I think it's pretty recent. Let's see. The imposter. There's another imposter, I just want to make sure. Yeah, let's see. That's a, that's a scary title. Yeah, it's 2012, yeah. Check that shit out, dude. I'm curious to see what you think. I think it's probably one of the best films like that that I've seen. One of those. It's just really special. It has a very interesting way of of telling a story. I I was really surprised by it. 
one film that I was really surprised by too that I really loved was um, The Descendants with George Clooney. Oh, I, I love that I love the shit out of that film. And I also love Solaris. I think that's some of his best acting. Which I th- I love that film and the pacing. It's it's cool to see a sci-fi that isn't about like killing killing a another Alien intelligent rights. species or something. Yeah, no. and you know what's really fascinating, and I don't, I don't know if people know this, is James Cameron produced that movie. Yes, and I know. Very, very big proponent when you watch the extras. Oh, I love some of my favorite commentary is when have you? I'm sure you listened to that commentary, right? Yeah, and I love yeah, I love James Cameron. He's so respectful. He is so him, respectful. Like, yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you do this editing? Like, do you like me? And then he's like, "You're a type snob, huh?" And I love like, it. Oh, yeah. Kids. He was like, taking oh. notes. He was taking notes. It was really cool yeah. because the things that I've heard from about James is he's a very dominant dude, and he, you know, if if you don't show him how badass you are, instantly. Yeah, that, he'll, that's he'll, that's what it is. These guys are not bad people, man. Like, uh, if, if they can, if there's a relation that happens when you respect a filmmaker, regardless oh yeah. of whether it's degrees or not. That person doesn't exist. You'll never see that filmmaker because the filmmaker that everyone says is a douchebag or crazy. Because he, when he's on set, those aren't his friends. Those are those are those are people he's battling, or that's the way he interprets it. Sure. Where you know, obviously, the way to do it is make everyone your friend. That you'll get way more out of that, and you'll be loved more. And in this day and age in filmmaking, James can't like the the, the 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 king of the world director is dead and will never ever ever be back ever yeah. again. The same way that we've known it. It's just it's not possible. People are way smarter. Everybody is way more ambitious in a good way and a bad way sure we're going to start to lose janitors pretty soon um <laughs> like that kind of mentality is is a problem but it's also awesome because it's forcing like those like douche douchebaggy kind of directors just can't survive like a michael bay won't ever exist again there yeah. won't ever be a director like that that exists i mean he's rare because he sort of has passed the threshold so he's okay and will always survive and he's a smart businessman yeah. but it's over you know like if you can't you can't find your passionate click like David O. Russell, who like is somebody who had a bad rap because of his crazy fucking tantrum <laughs> back in whatever 2005. You, everyone that says they know him or like he's like the most awesome person on this planet. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but it's just like you have to like. I think you have to just like get there, and I think that that's something that's like that's what made me really respect James Cameron was when I heard that commentary. I'm like, what? Like, I fuck, I want this guy to 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 help me produce this movie. And it's Seriously. Like such a- <laughs> Like, it's seriously, like, so, like, the only thing, you know, there's, like, there's only one part that I thought was kind of like, oh, that's a weird studio decision, you know, yes. uh, but, like, everything else was just so, like, and no wonder, like, my mom came back and was like, I don't know what to think of that movie, you know, she went to go <laughs> see so many women, like, my mom's age, that were yes. in their, like, early 50s, late 40s, late 30s, Beautiful that wanted film. to go, see, like, romp, like, like, romantic movie, or sure. people who went to go see an insinely action sci-fi, they're the people who went to <laughs> okay. see, where the people like you and I missed it, because we were like, nah, we're not interested in that, and yeah. then suddenly, it was the movie that we would have, should have saw in the theater, you know? Yeah, and I later watched it, and and yeah, it's just I was like, whoa! Uh, Cliff Martinez's score really caught me. I'm a music guy, just like you. And when I hear a great score, it just it, it melts me. I melt instantly. And then I go, ah, oh, Cliff is great, man. His I love the behind the scenes where he's talking about the crystal glass harp thing that he's got in his room. It's so sick. The stuff that he did with Drive was really fantastic as well. Yeah, it was really great. Drive's good. Yeah, I mean, his best stuff I think he has Traffic. Solaris, and then I don't know if you've seen The Nick, but his stuff in The Nick is great. I've never seen that, no, but Solaris is my favorite it's score the, of his. It's the Soderbergh show hmm. that just came out. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I know. Check it out. 
Yeah. I want to work with that guy. You know, he's making really amazing scores right now that I'm like, ah, I want to get him on the podcast or work with him somehow is the dudes. I think it was two of them and they worked on uh, the enemy score. The score for the enemy for enemy is amazing. Have you, have you watched that film? The uh, Jalen Hall's latest film enemy. It's the same director that did prisoners. Oh no, 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 no. I haven't. I, I'm, I, I'm uh, excited to see that. Should check that out. Well. I'm really curious to see what you think of that too. I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed bits and pieces of that film. It had that some movie, really, that movie came and bounced. Jeez. Yeah. It was a very quick one. I think a lot of people were perplexed by it. The ending is very unorthodox, but I think it's a perfect ending for people like myself who appreciate let slap in the face <laughs> because I'm not, you know, I'm not really necessarily expecting it. And then it leaves me thinking and having more questions. And I love sitting there and debating and talking about stuff. You know, I mean, you and I have talked, I've, I'm, I've been trying to persuade you to come down to San Diego and just chill at my house and we'll watch films and just talk shit and just try to figure out things and, show one another things, you know, because it's a lot of fun. Some, some of my favorite times with my friends is just watching films and articulating them and trying to understand things and breaking down the science of it because it's so so fantastic, you know. It's just moving picture. It's no, amazing. I think, I, think, I think it's just, um, you know, I mean, that's why, like, you know, I don't have a... I don't have much of a life other than kind of sitting in my, my stew of, of thoughts and, and it's, it's, it's kind of like you got to live a little, you got to have friends, you got to go out, but it's like there's certain times where you're just like, this is who I am. Like I can't ever give this up, you know? Yeah, and, I respect and, that. One, and, and it's tough because sometimes some people I think are a little bit more prone to, um, or just naturally have the ability to kind of multitask or, or, or compartmentalize or just have enough of an efficiency in their life. They can juggle like two different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately for me, I'm just all encompassing. I am what I make so much. And some people, you know, think that's silly. Some people like to dismiss it as, Oh, you're not that good because you can't just be like, I'm making this. And I'm like, dude, I, <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, like the, all the best directors, like go look at Sidney Lumet, dude. He's had eight divorces, you know? Um, <laughs> it's not know. that that's to do it's just that you know people are what they make but there's different ways to do that some people channel it differently some people don't make as much as they say they want to or as much as they think they can sure. and they much rather they have to sacrifice like do i want to make three movies in a, in a decade and and you know or do i want to make five and not have a family or like you know not be there for my family yeah. um and for me it's like at this point you know it i, I don't feel the intensely press pressuring um, you know, necessity to kind of have a companion though. I like, you know, I've had them and I'm very regretful of losing them because of work. But at the same time, like I I can't do anything about it because in the end it's, it's something that I'm just not ready for or, and no one, and nobody should endure what kind of obsession kind of comes out of filmmaking. There's a, there's a self exploration that ends up happening. And one thing Scorsese said in Raging Bull that affected me tremendously, and it was a tough time for him because he just he I think like he almost His died. Course, yeah, or OD, yeah, like heroin. He was into heroin, was it? Yeah, coke. Coke. And he, but he basically said, you know, I'm 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 constantly going through my own crisis from every movie to every movie, and so it's so hard when someone like I really like wants to make a movie that I'm kind of not interested in, but I keep thinking about it because I like that person, and I go, that person's awesome, but why does he keep wanting to make that? And it affects him. And I like that he used the word crisis because it was so like, okay, I'm glad you're not masking it like, oh, it's, oh, it's great. You know, it's like, no, it's, <laughs> it's sometimes it's really scary because that's, that's what you are. You are 
what you make. So like, uh, it's so much so that like when something doesn't work out or when something doesn't feel right, you're like, well, what, what am I doing then? You know? Mm. Um, but that's just the way it is, you know, and, and you just you just have to have people like you and friends and outlets of emotion. I play video games. I love I love when I, I can like turn on Alien, you know, and it's like the most like inaccessible game. <laughs> Fox put a ton of money behind and, you know, they made this fucking dope ass, like really loyal, like Ridley Scott, like slow burn game. Talk about know? isolation. It's just all, yeah, isolation. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, I'm excited to play it, though. I'm it. Um, and a little bit. I, I can't play because I don't want to. I want to reward myself. You know? Sure. So you're, you're in writing mode right now, right? Yeah. So, like, sometimes, but sometimes, like, I'll just be so defeated that I'm like, let me turn on a game. But then, like, I, I, I get excited, but then I kind of sort of feel like, like, okay, I can't play this until I'm done, you know? And sure. Maybe the reward. Those games make me excited because it's like those are like-minded people that are going to have a tough time with their second game because the game is already getting a lot of shit. Um, a lot of people have not purchased it. They've been waiting for reviews, and reviews are saying don't buy it. Oh no! Uh, and it's 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 tragic. It's very tragic. I'm gonna go buy it. It's a very like you'd love it on a design level, of course, as well. But well, you I love also, Alien, though. Yeah, you'd love the universe, and you'd love that they pick the most unpop, like. Yeah, I gotta support that shit. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I gotta go to the store and pay full price and be proud of it and support this team as doing something different. Because when I first thing I heard about that is just one person against a artificial intelligent alien. I'm like, that's exactly the game that I always wanted to play. That's Alien, you know? Yeah, totally. It's and it's rock. like, and, and, and the aliens constantly chasing you, and it becomes cat and mouse the entire game. Oh, everyone's yeah. everyone's gameplay is totally different. Hmm. I love that. You know? What and, do you and, think? You know, like all the all the bad guys, you can use them as like guinea pigs to have the alien kill them. But then you you you're inviting the alien to have to know that you're in the area, or you can try to find a way to, to eradicate themselves them yourself, and then you you avoid having the alien come to your vicinity. So there's just lots of like psychological things. Yeah, too. and what's cool too is it the main character is um, the main character is um, uh, Amanda Ripley, which is uh, daughter, Ripley's right? Daughter, yeah. Mm. It's really yeah. I'm excited to play that. One other thing I was really excited about too is Del Toro's thing with uh, Kojima. Did you see? Oh that yeah, Silent Oh Hill. my god, <laughs> that 20 minute gameplay. Such, yeah, I'm such a huge Silent Hill fan. I'm a little bit nervous just because like, but I think it's good because I think Del Toro is believe like even though I think Del Toro is is the sort of he's got like the the masturbation thing that I call that I love, yes. but it's like he you you can tell there's a, such a fetishist quality oh, yeah. he has he's with what he does. Feta, yeah. But he's a very, very distilled filmmaker. He's not somebody where I, I don't feel like anything is extra. He's very like this is what I set out to do. even in Pacific Rim, I'm like there is no pointless scene. Everything feels right. Where I think Kojima, I love Kojima to death, but that mm. motherfucker needs an editor, you know? Yes, um, yeah. And he definitely has just gotten more, and that's what happens with ego. When everyone says you're the shit, yeah. you don't think anyone else is right but yourself, and that is death. Big, that's and there's death, no, yeah. There's no, there's no... So when you make cars thing. and cars too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, you look at Fincher too. Fincher and Spike Jones, all, all my favorite directors, they don't hang out with other people that are filmmakers. They hang out with like friends that are probably tell them, this is stupid. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's too you, indulgent, and that's what you need to do because you, you, your ego Humbled. naturally to keep you protected will always say you're the shit. And yeah. unless you just have nervous, you know, you have like a nervous disorder or you're OCD or you have some sort of mental condition, like I think Del Toro is very objective and I think will be a fantastic editor for Kojima, you know? I think uh, so too. Well, you can feel it in that experience. I just thought it was brilliant. I love the idea of this cycle. You know, you're constantly going through the same level. For me, it's amazing because when I see that, I go, oh, I can make a game similar to this because 
is not about having a huge simulation of all these things that are necessarily happening, all these actions and, and, and aliens or just all this stuff. I can just have a cycle of an idea, a trap of a dream, and it's very almost uh, like Lynch and, and, and the idea of dreams. And, and Anthony and I are doing a lot of stuff. We're writing a lot of things about dreams and concepts and stuff, and we're really getting into the psychology of these things. And, yeah, when I watched it, I was like, this is freaking amazing i love it so much and uh yeah i'm just excited what do you think of all the vr stuff are you getting into that stuff do you do you ever want to make a game or get into games is that part of your outlook on our outlet on you know creating and stuff is that something on the horizon for you i would love to yeah be involved in a certain way but i think we're so far off of of the practicality of it that it's kind of silly to sort of think about other than like what I'd like, I think baby steps are key. So yeah, something I've already pitched for. I mean, I, this is probably something I can't talk about, but I don't. I guess I don't care. But um, for 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 Cubed, I actually pitched that we were going to un, 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 unveil. Actually, I did tell you this before that we were going to unveil like the 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 movie through like a fake infomercial that we were going to use through the Oculus Rift, mm. um, and that like you could like go around the the environment, but then during the <laughs> during the uh, unveiling it would break, you know, and you'd have to be you'd be stuck in this like world of just like puzzles and get fucked, and it just kind of like like sets the tone of just like trying to play God and have control and, and you lose it, you know. Mm. Um, and that was something that like they really liked, but it's good for me because I get to sort of explore like where it lives. You know, like one thing I loved about Super Eight, though I don't, I absolutely dislike that movie. <laughs> there's uh, some good scenes in there. There's some good scenes. My favorite was the little video they made at the end. That was genius. If I could just that was genius. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but I think um, what what so. they did tr- tr- like super effectively is when you bought Portal Two, a video, a short little demo of of Super Eight in a game world was mm. uh was available to download and it was essentially a, a, a just a character that was on the train of the alien that's carrying the alien and you get to like walk around and read people's journals and then at a certain point uh that's when the 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 train crashes and you wake up and you see you don't just hear you see the alien hit the fucking you know container and leave you get to see that it's not a mystery of like whoa what happened here mm. you know it's like you get to see it from that person's perspective. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like storytelling slash like publicity stunt slash trailer. Like, I think you need to do that, though. I think you have to be resourceful and use what you have. And I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at VR as being the next, it's the next way of consumption for everybody. You know, I think it's going to be a very interesting, weird era that's going to happen in society and psychologically it's very interesting I yeah be like the vr porn yeah i mean of course people are going to use vr porn and maybe that'll help with a lot of people's like you know sexual problems sexual frustrations yes of course and that kind of stuff but it'll also be very dark where people are going to be having these artificial things and and i'm not i don't i'm not an expert on japanese culture but i know with within japanese culture there's lots of avatar isms i guess you know where people are living living through this alternated life and stuff and i think um it's just weird i mean i I guess perhaps it's just me getting older and i need to really be cautious and embrace it um because but but don't but don't don't overthink it though i think that one thing that has always to stand at the test of time with filmmakers and artists is that like the best artists really know when to jump onto things there's been plenty of people like like james cameron who sort of like went crazy about 3d and though like he he was kind of right I kind of don't give a shit, and most of the people in the world don't give a shit. Um, but I think like VR is something that scares the fuck out of somebody, you know. Um, oh, yeah. and, and but but yeah, like I think that the way to embrace it is just take take it, you know. Don't dismiss anything, but don't, don't you know? Don't 
change your game because of something. You know, no, what I, mean? I think it's just embracing. I think that's absolutely it. I think you know, it's like you you, you give you give somebody with imagination a hammer and some nails, they'll, they're going to do something special with that. And I think if you give somebody a tool that creates worlds, immersive worlds, mm-hmm. you better believe you're going to have some really interesting things happen in society. You know. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know. I just I find it to be fascinating. I find it, you know the 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 addiction to technology now. I mean I'm I I have to admit that I am somewhat addicted to technology because I live off of it basically. You know the internet and the connectivity and my phone and all that stuff and you know my my ability to communicate with my wife instantly if we need one another for something you know. So, um, but I'm just curious and I'm wondering what's going to happen later. And there's a there's a reason strategically business wise why a company like Facebook has bought a company like oculus you know and it's just really interesting i'm really ca- i'm really curious as to where everything is going to go with that and yeah I think, I think there should be a, a definition though addiction unfortunately is not dependency i think what you're explaining is dependency you depend on technology i don't think you're addicted because the addiction sure, sorry yeah dependency. What, what addiction implies the one element that separates it is the reward hmm. when you use it you get this kind of high and that and that's 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 how sex can be treated that way there'll be lots of people who will become addicted with vr and things like that but i think that you you're you're of the healthy um uh, bunch which is you you just have become you know um dependent on it and that's why you know we get fucked by all those communication companies because like they know they can they know we need internet they know we need our phone they know they can jack shit up and instead of being like google where google's incentive is to sort of like manipulate in this really slow burn which i think <laughs> absolutely the why they're going to take over the world yeah uh, whereas companies that really think the old model of tricking people and really f- like a fucking fast burn raping them financially is the way to work on it it's like nah your guys yeah. are all dead google's going to be like providing us everything from phone to internet to just everything yeah you know? Um, and I think that that's that's uh, though though I'm like you know a super Apple fan and there's like a con- there's a com- conflict between the two. Um, I think Google is smarter. Um, they they don't care about like the dorky design side of stuff, but I think they are like on a sort of like in for the future path. I think they're more they're more um, they're more interesting to sort of take a look at and see what properties they're interested in because a lot of times when they're interested in properties. Um, there's a, um, there's, there's something to be said about their research that implies that's going to be the future, but they've always made mistakes. And that's why I like them is they gamble a lot, you know, like with the Google plus and so many things that or Google, Google glass and shit, Google glass that just doesn't work, but it's like, fuck yeah, man, you guys are, you guys are trying <laughs> and that's cool. And, and, and I, and I support that. And as much as I want to make fun of it, like I'm supporting sort of that evolution and I'm always into it. I just think that when I feel threatened is when I'm not able to tell stories and be emotionally engaged when I'm sort of forced to make things in a computer or when I'm forced to, you know, there's certain things about filmmaking where people are good at a certain part of it. And if sure. a certain part is suddenly omitted, then it's over, you know, if for yeah. that maker, unfortunately. And sure. I think with, with, with some filmmakers, it's experimentation, but that's something that's like a subjective and you can kind of get in different situations where you can get across that way of, you know, um, executing. But like if Fincher were to never have, like if suddenly it were to be like, oh, a director is not a director anymore. There's people telling a director what to do. Like he would never direct ever again. You know what I mean? Or if James Cameron, now, just, yeah, yeah, or if James Cameron just could never, uh, you know, t- tell an actor what to do and actors would have their own sort of personality and really sort of like make a, he, he would never make a Lumet film because that's not what he's interested in. He, if he had his way, he would love to, to, to direct robots. Yeah. He, well, that's, see, because, those because are the directors he, are going to thrive in the VR environment, you know? 
Totally, absolutely. And I, but I think what, what's interesting, and this is, this is just, I mean, like, you know, I think this is sort of a nice thing to maybe, you know, uh, leave open-ended and not, like, sort of say it's definite, but, like, just look at, like, the Oscar nominations. Look at the movies that everyone likes to talk about, like, after the year's end or when it's the following year. They're never big movies. They're always small, and they're all really interesting, and they challenge, and, and, and that'll never go away. That'll never, that'll never ever go away. And I think that the you know there's two different conversations about adapting and embracing. That's just a survival. But the thing is, emotions are something that we just don't get in movies anymore. And so when things are there emotionally, like Gone Girl, like these films that people are, that are sensational for people, it's not because it was crammed down people's throats like Godzilla. No, Godzilla was like the most disappointing thing for ninety percent of the world because it was like. You saw, I don't know if you saw the numbers, but it implies that everyone went the first weekend and nobody went the second and third and fourth, and it just went and just tanked. You Did know? they make their money back on that or no? They, they made their money, but it topped out. It fizzled at $200 million. But here's the thing. The first weekend was $100 million. Mm, Wow. That's, that's bad. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that what it says is that people can't be tricked anymore. So when you yeah. make a movie drive where it's just challenging people, yes. those will always exist, and people won't not go see movies. You just need to not trick them. You need to just know your audience and know that these are the people that are okay with not seeing a VR movie. Um, but VR movies just aren't going to happen for a while. The way I look at it is universe. You make a movie, like Controller, for instance, that's something where I'm down for that to be a ride. I'm down for that to be an app. I'm down for that to be a game. I'm down for that. And not because I want to follow the, like, Jaws Star Wars model, but because those can all be really awesome platforms to celebrate not only the platforms, but the story and the uniqueness and the possibilities of different characters within you, ha- you have to embrace that you know especially now that these are all tools that we're able to play with these are tools that S- S- steven wasn't able to play with and he was doing jaws necessarily you know like so mm-hmm. we should utilize them and, and make an experience out of it but not not this not that not at the expense of whoring out the idea or you know blowing it up too much just making sure that yeah. it's all pure and it's it's coming it's pure, from a good yeah, place it's, you know? by, it's by design like something that i like doing and it's it's hard because politically you don't have the power if you're sort of like interested if people are interested in you for film they're only interested in you for film sure. at that moment. until you prove it you know yeah so you prove it and then you can move on but it's like you kind of just want it there and you want to know that that's the world and you kind of just almost kind of want to keep it on the on, not on the back burner but just kind of almost remind people that th- this is something larger than just this movie and people love that and that's something that i think that's the future i think yeah gaming yeah i think vr is going to move quicker in gaming it's so much harder for it to exist in the movie world just because of just a, the expense of going to the cinema and having everyone have a vr unit for their head but on top of that like another thing to look at and this is part of my talk when i was in the netherlands uh, to do the film festival keynote was that i basically just went over like games like you know um, uh, the walking dead game where you sort of like choose it's like a total choose your own adventure kind of game where like really the outcome of what you say it not only affects you and your survival but everyone else's survival you're literally in charge of people's lives without you even knowing it or you think you make a decision and it completely affects a different decision you know it's a malleable um, thing in malleable experience yeah. yeah but when i do when i think about that i'm like damn dude, this would be so fun to just make like a really epic 10 hour movie because you just have so much content you'd have to have people watch but it could never be a, a theater experience because it's not personally driven it would have to be some sort of weird unique API design the VR games. though that's the VR or, yeah, VR but it's like then 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 just go make the game that's probably better and sure. I think that's something that where I would love to eventually get in that world of game direction but it's like I, I'm not at the expense of hurting a game I'd much rather be like 
the story director and then there's like a game director but a lot of that is is conflicting because a lot of game directors are the people who have envisioned everything and and it's sad when you see a game that's broken because they just didn't know what they were doing with story and everything becomes secondary as a story where when you watch last of us those guys at naughty dog make me so jealous because it's like what the fuck man you guys did <laughs> everything right you yeah, know yeah um, and, and it shows they, in the numbers too you know? Yeah, and, and they embrace the medium. They yes. embrace the medium so much so that you're like, it's not just like cutscene game, cutscene game. It's like no, the game is the cutscene. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it purges by the end. You're like playing pivotal scenes that are just so dramatic that you're like, ah, you know. <laughs> I remember, I showed that. I played a little bit of it in Netherlands, and people were like, no, ah, ah, like they were screaming <laughs> at me, you know. And like it was like it, it was intense. And I played an area where you can't really fail, but when the game is so hard that you assume the game is going to be just as hard during that cutscene, sure. and it's not. But it's it's really scary because, you know, like, and I was explaining how like be- when you suddenly switch to the girl, her aim isn't as good. So like, she suddenly you suddenly aren't used to her sloppy aiming because she just never has hold it, held a gun. And I'm just like, that's most game developers would say, don't do that. That's not rewarding. Sure. That's no one's gonna like that. I'm like, but see that? Can't you see a trend there? That sounds like yeah. Hollywood filmmaking. Yes. Don't do that. That's challenging. Everyone wants to be rewarded. No, they don't. That's why they're going to forget this movie when they walk out. Yes. The movies they're going to remember are movies that affect them and shake them up, you well, know? It's, it's pure to the source content, you know? And it's, yeah. you know, taking a risk on these things. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. And I, I haven't played that game yet either because I don't have a PlayStation. I think it's PlayStation only, right? I don't there's play games much at all. And then there's PlayStation 4, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. on, they remade it. They did a, like a kind of a remake. Not a remake, but they did kind of like a a reboot like a redux where they like updated the graphics and stuff and added some dlcs but yeah mm-hmm. playstation basically is the only way you can play those naughty dog i think is kind of co-owned by sony so yeah they can't actually leave playstation they can't leave sony. yeah no. Stuck. no that's cool i think that another thing too we can even express is that it's not when you talk about vr and the next level of these experiences is i don't even consider them games necessarily is more or less experiences i think the way I look at it, imagine if David Lynch created a VR experience, you know? But That'd if you went, be awesome. That's what it is, though. That's eventually what is going to have to be created, you know? If he doesn't yeah. create it, then I'm going to create it. <laughs> no, and of course, but I think that the way people say is, I'm a VR director, that would so depress me. No, I yeah, I'd just be like, I create experiences. Things, yeah, whatever mediums that excite me. to sure. get, Like, I would never want to illustrate. I would never want to do the things that you can kick ass at because it's like, a, I don't, I, I don't have the, I don't have the drive and the passion to go learn how to do that and build my own like drawing aesthetic voice. But it's like what I really love is to y- utilize those things or have those things in some capacity within my work, whether it's like someone else is animating or whether it's even just the pitching process. Like I'm sure. all about like concept art for a film that wouldn't normally ever need concept art, but because you did the concept art, because you have such a unique vision of how you want to create this crime world suddenly everyone goes fuck this is rad but using this, these storytelling techniques in and out of typical storytelling is important like i hope david lynch makes vr but i also hope he just makes a fucking banger theatrical movie as well or a cool tv show like Dude, twin, peaks, I, I, twin peaks again yeah i think that exactly in twin peaks like i think that like that's something that i always want to do i always want to make a commercial i'm always going to want to make a music video i'm always going to want to do vr and i think that that's something that some uh, filmmakers yeah should embrace the kind of broadening but but i I don't think filmmakers should sort of limit themselves to this is what i do no i think that's dangerous and that's that's, yeah Yeah. you know over specializing your breeding weakness it's a funny line that's 
an English ad- adaptation from this Japanese script in Ghost in the Shell, but it's always a line that I remember when I try to get too specific in what I do. And uh, it's, a, it's a constant internal debate that I have, and I'm not sure if you feel this as well as a creative person, but it's, I feel like I'm learning very slow because I'm broadly learning everything at once, you know? And yeah, I, but that's why, the world, that's why the world doesn't, that's why the world will be anarchy as soon as we all want to do everything, and we can. The world <laughs> to an end, I promise. And that's what's scary is like our freedom will we'll be our beginning, success. though. Will it become yeah, the beginning? You know, it'll be the new beginning. Yeah, where we have to figure out a whole new language, and and maybe that's how like the, the Star Trek universe. That's the whole like money goes away, sure. like manipulation goes away. It just becomes like everyone just having to love themselves, or life doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's purely just for fun and a hobby, and only you see your own stuff. Who knows? You know, like maybe that's just how it'll be. But I think that but there is something to be said about. Yeah, exploring. I consider a film like I, you know my definition. It's funny. I updated my Twitter thing. I think I was drunk when I did it, and someone actually really liked it. Commented like, oh, "I think that's beautiful," and I was like, "What?" And I was like, oh, "Man, I gotta get drunk more often." But uh, basically, like I said something like, "I'm a puzzle builder. I, I, I'm a I'm a world, or I build worlds. I build puzzles. I make shit up, or something like that. Or I make you know I personally lie or visually lie. I said something like that, and they like love that." And then, but I basically, I don't know why I wrote that. I think it was because someone was trying to define what a filmmaker is. And I think that every filmmaker, they don't like to call themselves filmmakers. They have their own little job that they, that they have. Every, I'm almost positive, even you, like you have, there's a job in your head and you don't think of yourself as I'm a filmmaker. You think of like, I'm, I'm a, this person, I'm a, that person, even if there's no term, a lot of people will create a term so they can convey it and for me it's like I you know puzzle building world building mm. um, but storytelling is just the easiest one for me because I don't like I want people to realize that everything I do stems from the storytelling experience um, Marvel movies are not is not storytelling you know? it's, <laughs> how it's dare not, you it's, 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 don't it's you people. like when Wolverine cusses no I don't is a one liner uh, come on I like Wolverine but I'm like I, I miss the sort of like you know <laughs> You know, I, I miss the Frank Millers of the world fucking IPs up, you know, and really reinventing them. And Dark, Dark Knight, Knights we love in the movie would not exist if Frank Miller didn't fuck shit up in Batman, you know? You know um, we, sh- we should go after? We should go after Punisher. I always felt that Punisher wasn't Punisher done would right. be great. I mean, I, I kind of... Go Apocalypse like, Now, Taxi Driver style on him, you know? War so Journal style. That. I think there's a, there is a pop superstar, like, you know, revitalizing the 80s in a sexy way vibe. But at the same time, I don't know if I'm interested in it being Marvel. I'd rather just be completely inspired by Punisher and it just be not Marvel. Because Marvel will not be okay with it becoming dry. They'll want to yes. popify it. Sure. Um, they have become sort of like, you know, the Disneyland of the studios. So I think that... Well, you mean uh, they, they're bought by Disney, so they're monopolizing I mean, everything. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they yeah. are. But uh, I, I think the biggest, the biggest concern... Um, about storytelling is the 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 um you know when you see a movie like Gone Girl that's really like intense and fucked up you realize this exists in the world still there are intelligent people there are people who get the themes there are people who are understanding what the movie means and yeah there are the angry people but who cares I don't think movies should ever be made for a hundred percent of the demographic which no, is what you cannot are do that part. there's no way you can. Yeah, you should aim for 50 or 60 or 70 based on your budget and never go past that. That's why Inception was a fail to me was because it really needed to try to hit 100%. Yeah. And I will be upfront with every studio. I am interested in only 70, 60 to 70% of the viewers. Yeah. The rest of the viewers, half of them will like it but not 100% get it and 20% should hate it. And in fact, those people who hate it 
those are the people that are going to make other people go see it because they're going to go home and go, I saw this awful movie. They're going to hell, you know? <laughs> I want to because they're going to people go, okay. <laughs> yeah, because if it pushed you that much, that's good that you're honest. I think that I've noticed with the Hollywood thing that a lot of people are dishonest. There's this weird dishonesty. And when I, whenever I talk to a producer or anybody that's trying to do and make films in LA, I'm very honest about everything. And I just very much myself do you find that has been a successful task for you as well just kind of being yourself and just being up front or do you or do you do it like that or do you have a bit of a uh, of a sheen on your on your personality to help get things across because part of i think directing is also communication probably 90 percent of it's communication yeah absolutely the whole thing you're communicating you're making something to communicate yeah yeah yeah. Um, i mean something to kind of go off of that is so you know i have the luxury it's not a luxury it's still painful but i have the luxury of spending months and months communicating five minutes of something right to somebody Mm -hmm. um when you're in a room speaking to somebody for an hour like it's a totally different game and there are people who know how to talk and then like Brett Ratner and then they make a movie and it's garbage, you know? Um, and it's not that he sucks. He's just a good, like he should just be producing. He should be hustling. And I think he's kind of has learned that's, that's what he is. But I think there's something to be said about, um, the, the, the sort of the, the, the game you have to play in the studio world. Uh, some people just can't handle it. They want pure art and pure honesty and, anybody Picasso all those motherfuckers knew how to manipulate you know oh, what I yeah. mean but it's crazy manipulators yeah. or they didn't look at it as they wanted to do that they looked at it as my goal is to crush you know my 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 checkpoint boundaries and if that means I'm gonna make it here I'm gonna make it here I'm gonna I need to be validated by all these people they'll figure out a way to do it and sometimes people are darker about it and do kind of have a darker path but I, I guess what I can say is it my, I'm naturally an opinionated intense kind of a little slightly neurotic of a, of a person so <laughs> that I, so it, that has gotten me into trouble, but I've learned quickly to sort of be likable in a way where it's like people find that endearing and they see the, they see where you're coming from so that like whenever they see some sort of strange bit about you, they're not like, Oh, he's psycho. They're like, Oh, he's warned me about this. You know, yeah. uh, he's, it's, I kind That's of communication, warned though. About the intensity, but yeah, you just need to, you know, one, it's like, you want to cut the crap. You want to be. A, you want to filter all the garbage people that just want to take whatever you have, and then they're going to do what they want with it, or they don't really care other than pleasing their boss or t- getting to the next step, which is I haven't had a movie announced yet on Deadline.com, and I want to. So mm-hmm. maybe this guy's shit can be that, and then I don't care if it gets made. Um, that that there's a lot of people that are like that. So yeah, being honest is important, but uh, force of nature is what I said earlier. That's really what a lot of people say. Um, they want and they don't mean it but they're the ones that really actually do because you're the person where you can like you know, get in a fight with someone at the studio and they're nervous because if they fire you it's your world they can't do that you know yeah uh, um vented everything about it you know and then and legally they can't but on top of that yeah like people can say well they can not make your movie but you got to be so confident that you're like yeah somebody else will yeah, you know exactly, I mean? and that's power. That's power. That's I think that's something that's that power. you should... and, even, and if it's not literal, like contractual power, there is something to be said about you know your your peers that that are dealing with the studio because the studio you don't talk to like the the head of the studio. You can like when you power like even you know Fincher you know and Fight Club could go and have a talk with the the president of production at Fox, but yeah. very rarely can you do that. You're talking to a VP and then you don't know how he's talking. Sure. He could just be saying. Hey, great, and there's going to be spectacles, and there's going to be action. He can be lying. And <laughs> sure. it's like, you're fucked because when you make this like really intense, dark, 
thing. But I think that's why making a short, that's why really reminding them what you want to make and constantly reiterating and sending, getting them in your head, showing them links that are challenging, showing them talking about movies that are fucked up and never talk, talking about big studio movies. Like you're, you're, brain, you're brainwashing them, but you're also letting them know like this kid's got some fucking crazy taste. And it, it, it's affected. You know it's working when studio people sometimes will call your agent and go, he does know that I want this to be kind of like a bigger movie though too, right? Like <laughs> I want this to be about like two lesbian sci-fi gods or something. And it's like, <laughs> no, he likes that script and likes that movie, but that's not what he wants to make. He, you know, um, Sometimes you have to find that balance, but I think being honest is absolutely the case. And it does hurt my soul to hear you, even you, you know, saying something like, you know, I, I felt this dishonesty. It's just there. And, and, and it, it breaks it breaks my heart, but there's a reason why Fincher has a bad reputation in the studio world. It's not because he's a maniac. It's because he knows the studio are those people that you're talking about. Yeah, he's and fighting he's, against them to make the thing that he's wanting to make. Yeah, yeah. because I, I'm almost positive any department head that has to talk about Fincher, they're, they love him. Because they're rewarded, A, he makes something awesome, but they trust him, and he respects people. When they're good, and they know their job, he respects them. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be said about everybody. And Steve McQueen, anybody that's sort of like has, has a large following, and, any, and they can get so many people to help them make their movie, that's important. And I think Fox, to be honest, out of all the studios, Fox is really killing it because they're putting a lot of love into like director visions and being and like really strong director yes. opinions i mean look at planet of the apes as much as mark reeves is not really like my go-to guy i don't i don't really enjoy a lot of the stuff he makes i think planet of the apes was a very successful like kind of throwaway popcorn movie made into something that's a little bit more relevant but not only that like all i gotta say is 75 percent of a movie is subtitled with monkeys sign doing sign language yeah props fucker props yeah i know? haven't seen it but i've yeah. heard good things about it which i was surprised i've heard great things from a lot of people really hard I, critics too i cried i yeah. cried even the movie that i rolled my eyes like 50 times i still was like motherfucker you made <laughs> you know? that's great you must uh, have a connection with animals then too yeah, yeah i mean that's another thing too is that they're smart he knew like matt is a smart dude he's a super smart dude like he's very aware of what people want to see like even if you see let me in it's a very very competent remake of the original though i don't still to this day don't think it needed to be remade and i'm offended sure. by things like that <laughs> at least direct recreations like at least the departed was like kind of unique and different you know from the original internal in, infernal affairs but not not let me in but when you watch that you're like motherfucker this guy's good like yeah, and he I think pulled it off yeah. yeah, and some crazy scenes. Like one of my favorite, like you know, one shots are in that movie with it's a fucking camera stuck to a car as it flips over and it's just yes. chaos. Yeah, you know? yeah, man. I actually I haven't watched that film in a while, but I remember I haven't I don't I don't know why I haven't I haven't seen the original. Same with Girl and the Dragon Tattoo too. I haven't seen the original. It's really interesting to see that there's these directors that are recreating things that are so close. You know, I always want to be like, hey, why don't it's you an go? Exercise. It's an yeah. exercise. Yeah. And, I, and Fincher even says that, like when you listen to his commentary on, on actually, is it a commentary or interview? But he, but he says it's an exercise. Yeah. And I think anybody like of his, at his level that's respectful of, of the medium and just art, he, you know, it's like he, a, there's a part of him that wants to make it better, but it's like b, it's an experiment, and that's exactly what I'd be down to do. Like I'm obsessed with Johnny Toe, this Hong Kong director. Um, and like there's this there's an IP that he's made that's called Mad Detective and I would love to just remake it but it's mm. because it's it would be impossible uh, to remake it, and it would be such a challenge to find a way to like Americanify it but in mm. like a really awesome way that's still like 
you know, uh, bring something of the original back, you know? Um, cool. And that's, that's, that's something I'd love to do, but it's like, not now. I'm 28. I'm about to run out of my 20s. Uh, <laughs> I've got shit I want to say. And as, as, as Spielberg says, like, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have made, once he got married, there's no way he would have ever made Close Encounters. Only sure. because single and he didn't have the obligation of marriage could he make such a selfish story. Yeah, you know? he changed a lot after children too. In his stories, is everything about him, the style of everything that he was telling, and everything too. Yeah, so. like even even Munich. Like when you watch Munich, you're like, here's somebody that's really connected to like you know the Israeli community, the sort of like you know Zion, a group sure. of Zionists, all that stuff. And it's like he's saying shit that's like, wow, like yeah. wow, like I'm so shocked that he's okay with doing that because he was like, you know, he did. You know, he did the fucking you know uh, you know um, Schindler's List, which was like you know the go-to yeah. pro you know Jewish kind of film, even though like it was just pro-humanity. But then when he made a movie where it questioned the side that he's supposedly on, like that's filmmaking, man. You know, and yeah. and I expect that, and that's on a studio level with like stars and John Williams backing him up and sure. Cap- Kennedy. I mean, people don't recognize like that movie as much because I think a lot of people like to bury it, but it's like you know. That's that's a, that's a, that's like Hollywood. What it should be doing. That's a 2005 film. Just before, like you know, 2006 was the last year where you can make movies like close to 100 million that just are like a dude looking for his daughter. You know, like <laughs> prestige, uh, children of men. No more. Never again. If you want to make Darko those, stuff make, like that. Yeah, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko is a little bit older, but yeah, like th- those kind of things just can't be made anymore. You have to make them. If you want to make those movies, you got to make them under like 25 mil. Right yeah, now. which is possible. Yeah. It's just you're going to have to cut totally- your teeth. Yeah, and I think it's about being smart when you write it, you know, like thinking, oh, isolating things, isolate it to, you know, a couple, couple of characters and, and keep it simple and, you know, just be cautious of it. But yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I, I'm, I know I'm keeping you too late, and I know I want to let you get back to writing. I'm sure you got, like I think you mentioned, you have an all-nighter, so, and I'm contributing to your lack of sleep. So. Chester's Cheetos. Oh, God. <laughs> Those are the spicy kind, too. Yeah, the spicy kind. They're the stuff that you regret, but like while they're so rewarding while oh, yeah. you write you. They're amazing. Uh, so sitting on, like, I'm also sitting on like an exercise ball. Because I noticed. My... Yeah, you noticed I was like bouncing while I was talking. I was talking. like, maybe he's having sex. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm standing, I'm sitting on a dildo. Um, uh, but I think that, um, yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where like, because I have so much energy when I write, I'll sometimes be like feeling something. I'll be listening to a soundtrack and I'm like, you know, and it's funny how much you're exercising and you'll go to the mirror and you'll be like, whoa, I didn't ride for like a week. What's wrong? Why do I, why, why does my like lower bottom of my body look like it's photoshopped, you know? Um, it's just certain little like lifestyle. Like that's what I'm saying. Like being healthy is are lifestyle decisions. They're not sure. fads, trends. They're not, you know changes to make their their lifestyle choices that have big impacts and that's something i vowed is you know like my i put i put my computer chair there for like the last month and i thought i'd I'd like would give up how considering how much it hurts and how much like how much discipline you need to have to sit up straight but it's it's really provided like a uh like it's a kind of like the ipad where some people just like to be on their ipad because it's tactile you know um something like you can touch uh, there's something to be said about that, but there's also something to be said about when you're in a chair that you can kind of like re- move and react, and yeah, you know that, that'll that'll happen as technology increases. Is the, the avenue of your expression can 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 you can challenge those things? But the sadness is is when things go away, like drawing, you know, literally having that transcribe of a word to paper, which has been psychologically proven to help you therapeutically, but also to to um, uh, uh, there was a writer who told me that um, when he loved a book, he would write 
the book word for word for no reason just other than to memorize the book that's like cool. to, to connect with the book and i'm like that is painful yeah, yeah that's cool though because <laughs> he's going through the like process in elementary school you know yeah. um but that's interesting yeah, well so, awesome thanks for i guess thanks for having me i mean is uh i'm I don't know if there's anything lingering that you wanted to ask or we didn't really get to. There's but, so uh, much um, stuff, you know. Do you have, do you have any advice for up and coming, you know, directors or just filmmakers or just people that want to express themselves? You have something that you've learned along the way that's really valuable that's helped you that you want to pass along. Um. Yeah, yeah. I guess let me let me think about it for a second. I want to distill it. Um, I think the hardest thing is is. Uh, it's hard because I I, 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 I'm, I feel alienated by most creatives because I do I, I, I feel there is this I feel what I embody as a creative I feel like I relate to so many people who give up in filmmaking mm-hmm. I don't feel like I relate to the people the monsters of filmmaking that can kind of just bulldoze people I feel like the people who have either gotten lucky and were and just keep going you know like the Danny Boyles who sort of had just a great opportunity and mm-hmm. then he kicked ass and kept kicking ass yeah. versus the people who are just like their confidence just killed it and they're good I feel like I have the confidence of people who quit <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I, I, I can't communicate for people who I think genuinely are going to be geniuses um, that those people shouldn't even be listening to this but I guess <laughs> like you know I, I think that really all I can say is just kind of trust your being but first you need to know who you are to mm. trust that you know if you think oh i like michael mann and i want to do a lot of michael mann things that's not you shut the fuck up you know <laughs> like go find out why you like michael mann go look at the things you hate no yes. you hate it go look at the things you love and then find something in the middle and you'll find yourself but once again it does come back into if you have the opportunity to shoot as much crap as you can until the stuff's good and oh, know right. that thing you make could possibly be crap but embrace it but get crushed cry get back up and do it again you yeah know? don't show people that crap keep it to yourself if you think, yeah keep you it know? to yourself if yeah. you want but yeah or show people like i'm very affected by people and i like showing people and i like to i don't like to but sometimes it's necessary for me to be crushed and and i think that that's something that film school will do that you can never replace is you're it's a me it's an area where all your peers that you come in with will see you for who you are if you allow them and then there's a lot of very sociopathic tendencies for a lot of film students to sort of just like impress each other more than explore. Well, and that's I like design, that, you know. That's yeah, like anything. Totally. Yeah, it's like totally. They want one another off, you know. Teachers, they need validation from somebody who's working professional or was a working professional or somebody they admire, um, and just like build the. It's human the, nature. It's useless. You're tricking yourself. The way to do it, and that's why the most successful people in film schools or in any school were the ones that just were never like the hero children of that school. Uh, it was only after, you know, like that was something that I, I never had a fa- teacher that thought I was their favorite. I never had a, like a, a teacher that ever considered me the, their best student. All the best students, they're cutting trailers. They're doing shit that I'm like, well, that sucks, buddy. You know, <laughs> um, and not in like a jealous way, but more of a just like, that's just the world. That's the harsh reality of, of the situation, which is sure. there's something beautiful about that, though, that should be embraced, which is it's your being and your challenges that you want to convey. But you, you don't know who you are. And, and, and you know, um, it, just by assuming or just by looking at something you like. Like I loved Soderbergh, I loved uh, you know Nolan, I loved uh, I loved Michael Mann, and I would repeat those things execution-wise for classes. But really, who you are, you don't. You, like almost what I've learned is that actually people would kind of tell me who I am, 
And I don't know if they got it right, but for somehow it affected me in a good way. And so I think there is something to be said about people who kind of build an image for you, but don't be trapped by that. Embrace it and keep up, like upgrading and moving on and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, um, you know, trust though. Trust that people are wrong. Like if you want to make a movie about a cancer patient, like find a way to make it awesome. Like mm-hmm. for me, for instance, one, one, I'll say one story. Somebody came up to me and I thought of, the, I thought of myself five years ago and said, I want to do a story about a man who fall like a, a, or no, a woman who falls in love with, no, no, a man who falls in love with a paraplegic woman. And, and, and it becomes this, like this, this guy who starts rot, like, like, um, I forget what he does, but he, he, like, he just, he just makes a life decision and leaves his really shallow wife for this paraplegic person. And I was like, I kind of like, was like, you know, um, I just, uh, kind of was like, this is, this is awful. I love your spirit, but you know, like, what's another way you can do that? Like, I, like you can have the same thing, but it's hard because when you're telling people, you're telling people kind of your ideas, but really it's just how far can you go with that idea before you start pitching it? Like, don't talk, like, when you pitch me that idea, that's so, like, one-tenth baked, you know? It should be, like, overbaked, you know, by the time you even pitch it to somebody. Sure. And so I said something like, well, I'd be interested if that guy robbed banks for his paraplegic wife, you know? That's badass. Sure. I'd be I'd be interested if a paraplegic learns to to like become like a superhero or something cool where she like is able to like allow herself to become overly powered in another compensation area you know or or to trick a man by like pretending she can walk you know or whatever like that's much more like whoa that's you're talking about the hitch yeah Yeah. you know and and, and it's 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 more just about like but just just playing around just play it's not that person obviously is like a drama person so they're not going to listen to my specific ideas but that was an example where i was like Okay, like I have come a decent ways, which is like you, you always want to make what you want to make. Don't sure. let that don't let that be affected, but yeah. just perfect it. And and if people say it's boring, you either say no, it's not, or you go, okay, yeah, maybe it is. Why? Don't yeah. go. It is. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that that and that and that's that's where I relate to a lot of people. I have like very long conversations with non filmmakers. Um, and, and including people who have left and stopped doing it or people who've never done it. Mm. Yeah. But I never have long conversations with other filmmakers. And I think a, there's at my level, there's a little bit of a like insecurity at my age, you know, like (laughs) we're not like these when we're 40 and we're all established, we can sort of like have a beer and make fun of each other and produce each other's stuff right now. It's like, (laughs) kill, 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 kill. kill. And I'm going to look up to people who aren't doing what I do. And I'm going to look up to people who are older than me. But I, I think in reality, I do these things because deep down, like, um, it's, it's, um, it's evil. I think Nolan is somebody who really is trying to like hide how he makes movies, and I think it's the most evil thing on the planet. He started doing that with Prestige, and you know, because it like Matt, he's like a magician, never gives his tricks. I'm like, you're no fucking magician, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think if you want this medium, if you really love film and you want this medium to move forward, mm. you need you owe it to future people to become inspired and not become hopeless because it's going to die. Spiel- Spielberg dying. never gave commentary on his films. No, but but he loved extras and he loved classes and he loved school but sure. he was, his problem was that he just he didn't want to take you out of that film and he's also he's not who he portrays he is in front of a camera because he he's somebody who deeply has you know monsters and i respect that but he he knows that the mon- the way he gets his monsters out is through his movies sure. so i don't think he likes showing himself to people very often and a commentary is very dangerous for him because he 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 said he's he's if you look up steven spielberg lies 
mm. you can see so much shit on Google. Like he'll, he said, <laughs> Dad invented the first computer chip in the world and swallowed it before a Russian spy. It was uh, crazy. Really? Wow. And he went to his dad and he was like, "Oh, my son, you're so smart. I did not do that." <laughs> uh, that's funny. Making stuff up. I work. I was an engineer. You know, it's like, uh, and you just. I love that, but it's like he knows he can get into trouble by doing that. And I think that there's some. Whereas I think Nolan is like there's a there's a threatened quality with Nolan that's very very clear in his the way he he sells his extras and the behind the scenes and then when you and then that's why when fincher people are like oh is he kind of the same and then when you see his docs it's like all in baby yeah he doesn't give a shit yeah even in benjamin button there's a famous moment where he he makes fun of himself but by put like allowing that to be in there but literally he's like everyone what are we doing this the fucking sun is moving and then this key grip turns around and goes guys fincher found something really interesting the earth's not moving. The sun is. <laughs> just like walks off kind of upset. But it's like, you know, like he, he, he's not that serious if he's cool with that. You know, him saying something really stupid. <laughs> sure. He's even made fun of Panic Room, I think, on Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. Panic, Panic Room is totally another experiment. That's like a girl with a dragon tattoo. It's like really like I think fun. that's more Gone Girl personally. But that's my, I think What's Gone up? Girl, I think Gone Girl and Panic Room are kind of on the same level for me as far as, as I'm seeing him change and grow, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, no, that's true. I think there's a discipline. Yeah, yeah, there is because he is tackling a genre that his like subject-wise doesn't seem to be him, yes. but he's going to do it his way. Yeah, and Panic Room's that. I just watched that yesterday. I was like on a Fincher kick. <laughs> that Coen Brothers and Fincher were yesterday. They Coen Brothers. See. We haven't even talked about Coen Brothers. I don't I know. know why. Well, Coen Brothers. There's no reason to. They're just awesome. They're just amazing. Yeah, they just. Yeah, like that's another thing too. I would suggest is if you like filmmakers. Don't follow what movies are good. Like follow filmmakers, good and bad filmmakers that have risen and failed, and yeah. just watch what happens to them and study research them. them. Yeah. Study them, yeah. And don't and don't 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 get too bogged down because I do think sometimes you feel like, oh, do I need to do that? Sure. But I quickly that the most beautiful experiences I have ever have in my own work is the organicness of you literally just adapting to every project. And I get pissed because I'm like, I have this thing on my wall right here. No one's going to be able to see it, but it's literally a pre-pro steps for success. (laughs) (laughs) And, Uh, and, And I have a hard time following it because you can't control your environments no. uh, around you sometimes the 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 location doesn't get locked and so you your shot list says only locking a- after locking location can i do my shot list but you suddenly need to get your shot list to people and you don't have a location it's it's scary but i think what's awesome about it is that sometimes you realize that after you start that you just stop thinking about it and mm-hmm. and and the, the like i said the child becomes its own thing and you recognize it like for me for this project i've been writing uh, I've just been writing a personal journal of one of the characters, and and I just take excerpts of it as my video that goes over the entire short. That'll yeah. help you, yeah. Um, because it helps me. Yeah, it helps me understand. Like, okay, this guy motivations. This guy, his journey from A to Z is essentially the theme. So, what's a good way of not saying the theme, but having it be there and presentable? Because it's such a kind of wacky idea that some people need a little bit, need a little bit of a of a booster. Um, and 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 I think that that was the way to do it without it sort of feeling like you're saying what you want to say. You're just having this guy who has created something that could destroy the world, and him. You see the evolution of him excited to create it. Then the evolution to oh my god I ha- I am the dis- I'm the harbinger of death what have I done and seeing that that range of a person 
realizing that it scares your viewers because you're like, fuck, like you're going to take whatever he says. But you, when you see that transformation of a character, it, it really helps. But I, I don't know that when I'm doing it, it's like, that's all I got right now is this guy. But then you, everything you, you say after that, or when you revisit the script is fueled by things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, I love that stuff. And if you talk to any writer, they have their own, like, like brilliant writers, not like studio working all the time. Like Dave, you know, David Kep, I love him, but he's a very like, cut and paste like just very smart very efficient very good but you know like if you watch panic room like the, like how many times do you roll your eyes at his dialogue you know yeah it's just, a whole different it's a, he's a very like you know everything he makes sounds like jurassic park you know it's like jurassic, <laughs> but jurassic park is jurassic park when you make a panic room it's like you suddenly that doesn't you know, no it doesn't work it's, it's like the someone's same thing. trying to be hard and dark and you're like whatever no, dude no you can't be that ties you know there's no way you know what you're talking about with this and but when but eric roth or tony kushner though they they're not as disciplined in the art of like strategics i'm telling david kept can come in and fix any script to be like awesome but like the thing is he doesn't have that magic that we've been talking about and sometimes that magic and i think that like i i say to filmmakers that you know i first of all think that anybody doesn't have a magic period unfortunately it'll be a very slow and painful reveal that you don't have it but (laughs) find something else you can do sure surround yourself with people who have magic recognize magic and like you know go make movies like james mangold is a terrific like magic finder you know he finds great scripts he finds the best actors and he gets the best performances in all james mangold's movies like 310 to yuma or um you know um uh, i think uh, walk the line i think is what he also did like those are all terrific films terrific yeah. But he's not like a magic creator. He's a magic um, facilitator um, where I think like Danny Boyle is like 50-50. PT is 50-50. Fincher is even 50-50, you know, in his own sort of way. Sure. And I think that's sort of that you're going to be good at one and have to get better at the other. Um, And that's something that I think that's the hardest part is you're always going to be learning. But trust yourself. Don't listen to people like me. Have your own <laughs> yeah, like when you listen to this podcast, just have your own opinions, obviously, yeah, and we have disagree. our own opinions. I want you, I want everyone to disagree or agree with whatever I'm saying. Yeah, don't like, be in the middle there. Yeah, you don't listen. Like, <laughs> just listen. You kind of listen and have an opinion after something is said, or have an opinion after you feel like you've been educated enough. And that's kind of what I've learned to do. Is there's two kinds of opinions. There's the guttural. I don't know if I like this, but then there's the like, you know, stepping away and realizing that, Oh wait, no Kubrick is actually one of my favorite films. But first you kind of hate him, you know, sure, or he's un- misunderstood. Like Eternal sunshine for you. Remember yeah. you hated that. And then now yeah. it's like, no, it's one of the best. I movies. hate, I hated it because it was perfect. <laughs> That's yeah. why. Yeah. 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 It, was but it wasn't even like a perfect, like I'm a, I'm jealous. It's more like you, it was perfect because it, 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 it did exactly me. what it set out to do, which was to affect you and have you question and challenge and, mm-hmm. and, and, and say, and if you wish you erased your memories, the whole movie's not about, you know, the tragedy of erasing memories. It's like, embrace what you had yes yes embrace what you had and relive it if you have to you know what i mean yes. and that's what the movie is saying but i think some you know when people walk away it's it's a, like i was in a crucial re- i was in a critical relationship where I actually was having a love triangle with somebody at the oh, time dang so, triangle not like we were all hooking up but it was <laughs> like there was like an ex that mm. was like you know like you know whatever anyways it was a weird dark go into details no, <laughs> this guy we don't like the girl we've sort of learned to dislike her but mm. she was somebody i watched a movie with and i and i couldn't stop thinking about how much i was like not really into her anymore and how much i just felt like she wasn't my best friend she wasn't somebody that i you know felt so like warm and fuzzy about anymore and and so it, i really just despised 
um, you know, the, the female character. And then when, and yes. then the female character sort of just like becomes this very neutral person by the end and doesn't become the psychotic overly displaying confidence and overly trying to show that she's not insecure. Like it just, she just becomes this like neutral person. You just sort of like, what the you, fuck? Yeah. You suddenly, the flip side happens where Joel becomes like maybe wrong a little bit. And, yes. and, 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 it's and beautiful. I think, that's I think yeah that's beautiful and I think that that's something that you know I don't know if the original script was like that I, I think Kaufman like when you watch Synecdoche or when you watch his more self-deprecating stuff that like I don't I feel like he doesn't have like happy endings so I wonder how and because you got to realize also Eternal Sunshine was was co-written by Gondry so mm. I know that it came from Kaufman but I know that Gondry like modified it into like sweetness they you know keep doing films together because it was great. Yeah. Uh, and I think they should. And it's I think not heavy-handed. It was very much. That's what I love about Michael Mann's films is that he did, he doesn't say this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. He's he said this is this is a film that I made. You're gonna enter this world and you decide. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's so gray though. Like I remember Miami Vice. He did such a good job making characters gray. Or even that other fucking movie. What's that movie where he shot it on video, but it was took place in like 1915 or some shit, like Chicago Gangsters. Mm, I don't Girl, remember. It's a total forgettable movie. It was awful, but like he has such gray characters sometimes where you just don't even like enjoy them. Where like Pete <laughs> was that perfect balance of uh, like perfect balance. They had that archetypal quality, but they were like best friends. Like that's a best friend movie. Like when I think mm, about movies, I don't. Is, yeah. it's, not, it's that's what I'm saying. That's the movies I love. Is like oh, yeah. make a genre film, but it's really something else. Yes. and that's always what I'll make for the rest of my life. Is I'm not interested in just going a drama. That's there's no such thing as a drama. You make a genre. <laughs> And then you put the drama in it, or you do whatever else you want with it. Sure. That's the way to get movies sold, I think, is you sell a drama, but you let them know, you know. Like, even with, with Controller, my cell was, like, it's a romance film that's full of blood and violence. You know? <laughs> like, that's what I say, but it's like, I want everything to be romantic. I want, like, there to be sweet music playing while, like, people's bones are being crushed, you know, by our character. And it should feel, like, emotional. Ambiguous. Yeah, because there is there that that's sad. That's sad. There is an addiction to this love, but that's love, man. It's twisted a little bit. But I know that you'll get you'll have the viewers on board if they like your characters, and then at the end they're just as bad. But because they're on the same page as you, it's inviting. You know, it's questionable. Yeah, or like it puts you through that journey, like what Eternal Sunshine did. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eternal Sunshine d does the same thing. Is it puts you? It's a mirror, but it like puts you in that space. And that's also I think there was such like panic towards that film in a, in a way where some people sort of rejected it or sort of just went, uh, uh, you know, but I think most people who are affected emotionally just suddenly felt like someone understood them. And I, when you make a movie like that, like Shawshank Redemption, these random movies where people just suddenly feel understood by a movie, that's crazy. And I, I, there's very few, it's funny because that's how I know I'm emotionally damaged because the movies that do that, besides Eternal Sunshine, that's like rare, they're always movies that are just like, I don't know anything about like that life, like Memento, you know, movies where it's like, I've never had a dead wife. I've never been my own enemy. I've never killed anybody and then lied about it. And like, but I, those movies somehow like insomnia movies are where the, the lines are blurred between good guy and bad guy. I tend to have, and that's only because, you know, I'm that's a human, human though. That's but human. Yeah. yeah. And I embrace the recognition of it. I embrace that. I have set, you know, very, very selfish tendencies. And then I embrace that. I have, you know, pre predisposed uh, ideas of, of relationships and, 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 you know, I don't want to think about what someone else is going through, but that's the exploration of cinema is you create these worlds to sort of explore like, oh, that's what I feel. And that's something that Scorsese found on Raging Bull for the very first time. Yeah. He said, 
you when feel he, it in the film. When he made it, he realized what his opinion was of the film, you know, versus the opinion beforehand. And that's dangerous. You can't tell anybody. You can't tell the studio that. They want no. to know you have answers, you know? Yeah. But that's not true. And if you have good producers, they're the people who kind of buffer you at a certain They protect point. you. Yeah. They protect yeah, but, you from that. Yeah, I think that's it. Just make, <laughs> be confident in what yeah. you do and, and challenge, you know? Like, uh, I guess I'll leave with this one quote. Mike Mills interviewed uh, Ang Lee, which, first of all, just that alone, that statement, yeah. Mike Mills interviewing Ang Lee, like, oh, yeah. that's beautiful right there. <laughs> Second of all, uh, when he interviews Ang Lee, Ang Lee says he, he gave him rules. He said rule one, rule two, rule three, rule four. And I forget what the rules were, but my favorite is rule five. You don't listen to a fucking thing I just said. Have a good day. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's I'll, that's I'll, the best I'll, advice you can give is is, yeah. is to do your own shit is just go and be your own person. Go be amazing. Go be powerful. Go be a loser or whatever. Decide yeah. whatever it is. Go like, do go it. Go be a powerful loser. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Go <laughs> be a powerful fucking loser. Like, go make, a, you know, go make an ESL fucking, you know, superhero and make him badass. Make everyone <laughs> want to be ESL, you know? Um, like, just like, you know, that's that's just, just have absolute confidence in what you do and make it, and, and just, just be, don't be cocky, but don't be malleable. Malleable is a word that people use in the industry too, and it makes me sick. Like they're like, oh, I don't know if he's malleable. I'm like, motherfucker, I don't want a writer that's malleable. I want to get in a fight with a writer. Yeah. You know? I want a writer that has an opinion. If he doesn't agree, like we we have a fundamental problem, then okay, we we separate. But if if he doesn't agree on like an idea, let's explore that because that's what makes movies great. It's All those movies in, like the '60s, like One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, uh, Thelma, uh, not Thelma movies, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Like those are all movies where like the chronicles of those movies are insane. Like people like, like you know, breaking each other's car, fucking headlights and shit out of pure anger and frustration for you yeah. know ruining my movie. But it's like those movies all end up being awesome, you know. Sure where movies like Dick Tracy or movies like Heaven's Gate, movies where there's like this all absolute control of just masturbation and 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 just like just absolute like um, disrespect for other people and knowledge and things like that and, and all high and mighty you know personality types those are the movies that fail you know um, so so just like you know in, the force of nature quality is a good idea but yeah I think I think yeah just trust yourself trust yourself have an opinion you know I love I, I love that about films and I and I think that's inspiring for sure um, but yeah so. yeah I agree I second that and go be yourself and then go have fun enjoy it whatever it is that you're trying to do you know do it to death and know and know what know what it is that you enjoy <laughs> because i think some people forget that too some people like the idea like tarsem says i don't like any other part than shooting he loves shooting the piece you can tell that <laughs> and, I, and i and i'm like no yeah. Shoot. so i'm like zemeckis where i like you know i'm not saying i'm as good as zemeckis i mean i'm like zemeckis i relate to him when he says that he his, his survival is what he calls it. Mm. Uh, and so does Soderbergh. People the same thing, it's I think, too. Yeah. It's not fun. What's fun is having sex, incepting the baby, and then and then rearing the baby. Is is that's Those are the funnest points. But labor? Nah. uh I don't yeah. know if that's, that's fun for anybody. <laughs> you would never replace it because you learn a lot, just like, you know, real labor. But it's, it sucks. It's yeah. a lot of pain and a lot of compromise and a lot of, like, you just have to roll with the punches as much as and that's so why I many punches too too many punches <laughs> I feel like testicles are all the way up in your fucking like esophagus just like hitting the balls a hundred times uh, so the walnuts fall out um, but I think that that's um, you know um, yeah I guess cool yeah man I'm stoked I'm really happy and big thank you to Kevin for getting us connected and 
yeah, I'm just really stoked that we had a chance to talk. I know a lot of people will appreciate this and that it's going to be a little time capsule because I know you're off to doing bigger and better things every day and you're pushing yourself and it, it's really cool to, to see where you're going. And, um, I think this is going to be fun to look back on, you know, years later and have a good laugh about it, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be fun. I'd include this on a Blu-ray of a movie. Dude, you know? Amazing. <laughs> Jerry, like there's some sort of like podcast we do where we just talk shit. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think, yeah. Um, thanks for Kevin to, for introducing us. It's always funny. Cause I feel like Kevin, Kevin will always post comments on my, on whatever I'm posting or I'll post comments on his. And we just have these like interesting arguments. I feel like we don't agree, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the most That's fun not disagreements I've ever had. It's a very kind soul. <laughs> that's what I love about it, though. I, that's what I love is like these these sort of like challenges of 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 debate. Like I feel like you know like like Socrates. I feel like all these people like you, I don't imagine them ever being mad when they got in debates. It was always these like fun, drunken, like you know, uh, slightly too loud for their own good debates. But like they were the absolute like love. Sure. For one. You know, pushing one another and that's so interesting to me like my best friends are all people who like to challenge me or roll their eyes at me or say shit and half the time you're like you want to impress them and you're sad that they just put you down but sometimes mm. they're just like i know what i'm talking about you know what i mean and then and you just and you just go okay whatever i'm just gonna go and do it like what i'm gonna do is be better than me trying to talk about it you know yeah. i was uh, just saying that exact thing to my jujitsu coach it's a you know iron sharpens iron you know like it's a big thing we use in jujitsu. Like you meet it, your training partners have to be better than you or at the same level or you will never grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when, when you start to not, when you start to, okay, this is my rule. And it's, it's, it's not pick the people that are better than you. What does that mean? I think the feeling that I know when someone's better or, or possibly like keeps me like sharp is when there's an intimidation, um, and that, that is involved. If I'm not intimidated by the, the people involved in my team, like in an, in an awesome way, like I just know they're the shit. Um, I don't, I don't think it's the right team yet. You know, I think whenever you're just like, Oh, whatever, fuck shit, bitch. You know, like you obviously want to have a shorthand, but it's like when you don't, the, the level of respect goes down. And when I have a little less respect for people that I just feel like, ah, oh, man, like they're not where I need to be. It's sure. like, that's a, that's a, that's a compass I have. But so you need to be around people where you're just like, oh, you like want to buy them a flower every day, <laughs> you know, because you you're just like, them. you make me, me, I can't like, people think that's sh like sad and shallow. Not at all. Like, you know how many so. people would love you and be like your permanent production designer, just out of the fact that you feel like your existence can't happen without them. That's so validating to those people, you know? Yeah, you need and to give them that too. You need to give them that. And then I sometimes do that for people that I don't hundred percent feel it only because I want to be kind and I want to encourage them, you know? Sure. But, but sometimes there are people where you're just like, it's just, they're debilitating or they're damaging to your child because they don't, they don't carry the same sort of weight. And, and sometimes when you have a great team that was like, there's like five people that are feeling it. And then two people that aren't mm -hmm. people, people usually feel the aura of the five and they can get on board, but really quickly, you know, all right, that, you know, you know, the next project you have to, you have to question those two people, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's happened with certain crew member where it's really depressing because you just, you become friends with these people and then you suddenly are like, I can't work with you anymore for professional reasons. And nine times out of 10, as much as everyone says they're okay, you can't hang out with them ever again. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's just, a breakup. It's, it's a breakup. Um, but that's that, you know, one production designer I used to work with, we're still awesome friends. He came to my birthday and, uh, you know, a couple of DPs. I'm still best friends with my DP from film school. I don't work with anymore, but you know, I'm sure one day we'll work together. Um, but we're still friends and he still like send me funny stuff about our stuff and, He's working with a lot of the other uh, art center kids, like John Carey. I think he works with Gavorg. Um, 
in we did that GTA short that came out a couple of years ago. Hmm, um, I remember that. That was cool. Yeah. The, yeah, P- the yeah. POV one with the yeah the POV one had like the motorcycle bit like yeah that was um, fun yeah he worked on that a lot I remember he like the almost all duration of, of film school he was working on it so it was crazy when it came out but yeah it's good for him I mean it blew up it got him a lot of opportunities he's doing a lot of like cool car commercials and stuff and he like loves <laughs> that he's so happy and just gets such a boner from that stuff and it makes me it makes me jealous how happy he is <laughs> sometimes like i'm all about like conquering pain and it's like <laughs> like i just can't wait to just do like a comedy with all these funny people and just mm. like just make shit up like on the day you know like i can't wait to get there but it, you know, anchorman stuff I'm not, yeah i'm not there I, i'm not here to enjoy yet when i'm older i can enjoy more i think now i'm here for my duty of 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 a learning and conquering myself but b um my duty to the cinema you know yeah yeah perhaps you'll see you know where, where you go you know where you end up it's all about wherever you decide to end up you know so, absolutely it's the journey baby journey. killer killer right, well, well yeah. thank you very much uh thank you hope people i'm sure people have shut off this podcast by this point <laughs> if you made it this far if you made it this far you were awesome or um sorry <laughs> yeah no this is good man i'm stoked i think there's a lot of really f- great things to take away from this and yeah yeah i hope i was helpful dude thank you for the opportunity and i um absolutely yeah I mean, and best of luck with everything i mean yeah we'll have links to all your work and stuff as well and anything else i don't know if you have the twitter thing and the facebook thing um yeah everybody check out check out his work and as i know they will and yeah I just send him some love Send me some love. Tell me I'm okay. <laughs> Tell me it's all right to to, to send him a smiley and and uh, <laughs> keep pushing. Be lonely. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think that's okay though. Lonely is good. <laughs> all right, dude. Love you, man. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. And, uh, you get some rest so you don't break yourself at the next jujitsu session. <laughs> Tomorrow, six hours away. I gotta do. Get the, get the fuck to sleep. <laughs> See you, buddy. See you, man. Take Ciao. care.